This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. For me, she's the best English centre-back. Play your best players in their best position. I don't think the captain is droppable, particularly after making the statement of dropping Steph Houghton. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's all Ireland hurting final week. We're going to have uh, we're going to have Owen in Limerick tomorrow, and then Kilkenny on Friday, and we'll have Tommy Welch in studio with us in the next hour. But there couldn't be a better day to have. Johnny Ward with us in studio because basically all of his favourite things happened in the world yesterday. Climate change protest during the cycling, League of Ireland team qualifying for the next round in Europe and... What was the third thing you said? <laughs> I'm actually genuinely waiting for this. Galway County Board flexing their muscles, showing that Galway pride and telling everybody that they weren't coming out for the second half unless they got their point and they got their due. Why have you such an issue with this? I don't have an issue with this. I mean, if you look at the interview, I mean, it was you know, a Galway BFM interview. They praised the referee and they said the referees were looking into it. And it was like it was a bit of gamesmanship. The minute we played the, they, we played the game, we wanted to get that extra point. It was 4-3 at the time. Galway referees had, were this final, you know, we're going to... It we're, wasn't, because Hawkeye screwed it up. We're going to turn down an opportunity to play in the second half of an All-Ireland semi-final. Were, a point down. They were bluffing, like, but well, they got the point back. I, I don't have an issue with that. You, it was fine margins But there. they didn't get the point back by threatening not to play. Um, by well, they didn't know that. To take their ball home. They didn't know that. I was at the game... I didn't know what was going on. I'm sure in the dressing room they weren't entirely sure what was going on. The county board knew what was going on and they went into the referee. I don't really have an issue with it though. And so if it were if it were Derry, I would have said the same thing. So it's a fair game for for people to go to the referee at half time in big games. Is is now an established so in this in the final if if uh, David Clifford gets sent off just just before half time and somebody from Possibly should have gotten sent off. And somebody from Kerry was to visit and get him put back in for the second half. You're like, yeah, no, that's just that's just playing the game. That's the game. You're like, but this was Hawkeye getting it, it spectacularly wrong. I mean, well, this is black and white. Well, there's no know. grey area. And what about here, the like. dairy point? Um, I I genuinely don't think I didn't get any text about that at halftime. Well, so it didn't I, seem maybe because it wasn't highlighted on the telly. You know, well, yeah. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, but we weren't to know that. So was there? I don't know. Was there somebody like here's? I the, would reserve the right of the dairy officials to do the same thing. Were they to know that glasses point? But was I, a point I, as well? maybe. Maybe I don't know. Maybe somebody decided that they were going to look at that point and not this point. Maybe. The yeah. power of the TV director. We see it in New Zealand rugby. They get to decide that's not a yellow card. That's not a red card. We're not showing those. Oh, an Irishman is like slightly, slightly stepped out there. You see the Dublin goal. Did you see the Dublin goalkeeper? It's gamesmanship. But like, they, and we do were you looking expect, for a point. And, and do you expect people off the field to be able to in, indulge in gamesmanship? I don't think so. I just think you can't be threatening not to play in the second half and all that semi-final. It was bluff. Under any circumstances. Maybe it would have helped. I don't know, but I reserved the right for them. When it was a four points to three game, I mean, it was a horror show in the first half. It turns out you're worried. Well, well, like, oh, we had one point after half an hour or something. Who knows? I mean, at half times, I'd say the betting was fairly close. And a point was a big deal. And we were wrongly, you know... Denied a point, so I I don't really like they weren't they weren't going in like with with shotguns or anything. I mean they were just well they were going in with a threat that we're not coming out for the second half. And the ref could have said, okay, well I'll deal with this, grand. But like you know, I'm sure it was cordial. And what if what if just in 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 a hypothetical situation, like look, we can't nothing we can do. We missed it. We missed it at the time. We can't fix it. Right. Um, we're not coming back after the second half we'll come back to you after the game and see how we're getting on <laughs> I'm sure there would have been a, a return to the to the Crow Park for a replay I was actually thinking of that at half time I was like geez, what if this is like a one point game at the end of there's season? a replay no doubt there's like mm. a, I don't know I, I mean maybe there isn't you know like we've seen this before 
there was I can't even remember what happened there there was like a Carlo Wexford game and a point that never was that mm, there was I a replay granted that. but then there was another one where there was no replay granted and uh, one team just pulled it out and then you me just pulling it out against Louth no <laughs> don't care nothing no no incident was no. set by Hawkeye malfunctioning though I mean that's the talking point here not I mean Let's defend the Galway officials here. Like they're you, this you, see, you they're doing what you want them to do, right? Yeah, but they, I would, and, if and the Derry people did the same, I would say that's absolutely fine. Like they weren't I good think in there. Got to like, play the second half of the game. Yeah, but I mean, it it it, it was a threat. Like, but it was a gamesmanship. Whatever, they were a point down, and right, it should have right. it should have been given as a point. Right. We should bring the ref on the show and ask him did he feel intimidated? I'm sure he didn't. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like it, in fairness. And um, Brendan Cawley, who, by the way, according to the Galway officials, was. Sound out, he was superb. He was like, lads, we're aware, we're looking. They communicated very well. We just meant the point that we won't be back in the field until we know it's rectified. In fairness, like, we were, we were happy with him. We just said, listen, we're not coming back in the field. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't need to because we have Damien Comer. And Kerry, beware. It's not over yet. You should be. You're not very good at this. You're supposed to be like we'll we'll be lucky to keep the ball kicked out to them. That's that's your role for the <laughs> your, next two years. Yeah, things like exactly. Well, I I I think uh, Pori Choice has inculcated massive confidence in this team, and there's no suggestion whatever that he'd be playing gamesmanship. He talked about all Ireland's, and now we're in one. Ironically, ironically, begin. ironically, it's the Kildare influence that has got getting you over the Keen line. Keen O'Neill, I mean. I know a man who wants to bring him to his own club uh, in a, in some shape or form. Um, no, no, no more to be said. But uh, he's well regarded across various sports. Oh, soccer, possibly. Oh, League of Ireland, Galway, Galway United. Um, no, right. Yeah, break, breaking news here, Johnny. Uh, you, 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 I know somebody because who you're, wants Keen because you're an inveterate gossip. Soccer. You couldn't help yourself from like, oh no, I've said too I'm much. I'm actually not an inveterate gossip. I have no interest in other people whatsoever, um, <laughs> except when it comes to sport, and except when it comes to and sports venue gossip and. Uh, and football secretary Pori Kelly. Well, we, yeah, so you, you fair enough. The, and I, I, to be honest, I mean, maybe I'm. Um, um, You're trying to stir it. I mean, it's well, I just I, look. I think you, you, have to, in the morning. you have to play the second half of the game. You have to. They right. would have. They and would have though. Fair enough. Okay, they would have. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. How many kids do you have? Three. How many times have you made false threats that we're going to do this unless you do that, and you didn't mean it. Um, yeah, it's you true. Know. It's true. It's true. The kids, the kids, suss you out pretty quickly that you're bluffing pretty quickly. <laughs> well, let's show. Let's know straight let's away. Hope Hawkeye works in the final if it if it's even there. They call your bluff immediately. Yeah, like so. Kids are getting like the evolutions of humans. Kids are getting extremely intelligent very quickly. It's very annoying. <laughs> right. What's their future hold? Which we can talk about in due course. Yeah. Well, I, well, not, not your actual kids. Uh, Seven thirty-five. Nathan Murphy. <laughs> Tommy Walsh at 10 past 8 Virtual Insanity with John Duggan ahead of the Open Derek McNamara is going to give us the uh, the lowdown and the analysis on Ireland versus the All Blacks from last week and Fiona Coughlin will uh, cast forward to next week we've got Westmead reaction from the Talton Cup and the mad celebrations that they had uh, look great um, the Westmead fans certainly swelling the numbers of uh, Galway looking people at the weekend yeah yeah um, maybe more of them I uh, you know there, there were a couple of um Couple of people dying um, very young in Westmead that I just kind of I, I just kind of became aware of this afterwards. I think there are some poignant celebrations. I would have friends in Maryland Club and they lost um, one of their real stalwarts in his forties. Um, I'll, I'll actually get his name, but there were a lot of um, I think that meant an awful lot to a lot of Westmead people. Notwithstanding that they've had a couple of recent tragedies in the county, and I think the Talchikov is great. I, I thought this, you know, Kevin 
uh, Cavan and Westmeath people rushing for tickets to see their team playing Crow Park. I think it was great, and uh, I think I hope it really builds on the success um, of the first, you know, renewal. And I thought when we had. Um, a chat last week with Lee Keegan and I thought his enthusiasm for it for somebody who will never be involved in the Talisman Cup was really endearing it's all Ireland Hurling final week as you know we've got four priceless tickets to give away on the show this week it's all thanks to Board Gosh Energy 2022 marks the sixth year of Board Gosh Energy sponsorships of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship and to celebrate every day this week we're giving away a €150 Euro one for all voucher and more importantly each winner will go into Friday's draw for an incredible grand prize of a €1,500 one for all voucher and four tickets to Sunday's All Ireland final between Limerick and Kilkenny. To enter, tune into tonight's show. It's all thanks to Borgosh Energy. You can search the hashtag Gift of the Gab for more. Now, we're joined by our very own Nathan Murphy. Nathan, hello. Good morning. What's going on? I'm just uh, fascinated by uh, Johnny's optimism for the All Ireland final. Why is it it's misplaced? A, it's a, it's a, it's, I didn't say it was misplaced. Not it's from Mayo. Oh, shots oh, fired. We, just, wow. we don't know what it's like to lose All-Ireland Finals regularly. Well, well, uh, I'm surprised you remember what it is like to be in an All-Ireland Final. Vaguely. I don't know if you've seen your hurlers play too often, Johnny, but I'd say you know well what it's like to lose an All-Ireland Final. 2001. It's hard to believe. Like, Porrick Joyce performs probably one of the great All-Ireland performances. Little did he think the next time you'll be here is as a, ma- is as a manager in 21 years' time. It's mad. I was more thinking as well as what the hell is going on in Kildare football, which is a long conversation, I'm sure, when, mm. you know, Keane O'Neill were talking about the saviour on one side, Jack O'Connor is leading Kerry straight away to an All-Ireland final. You don't appreciate these guys, Jer. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know. They don't I, appreciate it, maybe. Uh, you know, it, uh, like, um, it, it, you remember that whole, how good a manager would Brian Cody be if he was in charge of somebody that wasn't Kilkenny? It's like, well, we know now how good a manager Jack O'Connor would be and, and what he, he was... Like learning stuff, uh, doing reconnaissance on on Dublin and absorbing information, but wasn't particularly progressive in terms of the football that he was playing with Kildare. So, like, that's you know. a loaded accusation, though. No, how? He was just there basically on a spot. No, I didn't say that. I did, I did well, not say you, that. You implied it. I did not. I did not. Be very careful. Yeah. I did not. I was saying you that. Reconnaissance he, in Dublin. Yeah, well, he. Well, and for the. Well, was there any evidence that the, that team went out to try and beat Dublin last year? Did they. Did they take them on? Mm. Did they push forward? Did they throw men forward? Did they attack How they get in on numbers year, at any stage? Like they were hammered by them again. Yeah, but like we're talking about that management team and what they tried to do was to uh, not win, not um, be beaten by a significant amount. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, that, that query though about Cody was always there and we're, you're going to like the evidence is that Jack O'Connor is a good carry manager, but was not a great Kildare manager at all. Like that, them's the facts. The one thing I would say, Keane O'Neill back. I, like I think Keane O'Neill should have been involved in Kildare football. It was a major error not having him involved at a strategic level. You know, it's it's clear that he's got a brilliant football mind. It's clear that he understands strength and conditioning really well. It's clear that he's like uh, at the bleeding edge at university level of sport and so it was a mistake I felt to just allow his tenure to leave without kind of going okay well what you know we've, you've tried the management job that hasn't reached the level that you wanted to although like our our one great moment in the last decade is on the back of his shoulders so like there should have been some way of getting them involved in Kildare football that made sense and 
um, whatever for whatever reason it didn't happen Just getting, getting back to Jack though Jack hasn't achieved anything with Kerry like they've they got through Munster they were favourites to be Dublin literally fell over the line were he's, legless he's won the All-Ireland in both of his previous stints no sorry in this role he's basically gotten to the All-Ireland final I don't see if Kerry don't win the All-Ireland against Galway he's had a failure of a year like, yeah, but so. they're going to win the All-Ireland against Galway why is, why is this like a fake complete it isn't at well, all okay they're five point favourites and they've beaten the best team in the competition that they've played so far and uh, you know I, I, I think like the, 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 this confidence in Kerry is so misplaced in terms of this final this is a very good Galway team with serious forwards like it, is it a really good Galway team I believe it is yeah I and think it is and one with massive belief having come through um, two Crow Park games though yeah okay, albeit it was a division two team uh, yeah and I don't, I don't, I don't really rate Dublin to the extent. What that about they the didn't seven point lead that they had against Armagh and couldn't manage the game out? Ah, that was that was a gooboo situation in Gaelic football. You never see the likes of it again. Well, um, kind of the last the last five minutes against Mayo were fairly similar in that they, they had a seven it, point lead, and the last five minutes against Roscommon they had a seven point lead and got through. Yeah, it. again, that, that game was over. They, they they've won. Derry scored games. a late goal. They were the better team in all those games, and they demolished Derry like six points in the guts of 70 minutes massive belief um, and anyone who thinks this is a fake complete is going to be like there's no way this is a close game definitely Kerry were out in their feet against Dublin like, yeah having, having the battered them in the first half in decline, hmm? having battered them in the first half like the game's um, over the penalty goes in yeah it's a double digit win for Kerry if that happens I think it goes to extra time we're talking about a Dublin Galway final here and mm. the rush for tickets would be even worse um, what do you think Nathan looking from afar I thought Kerry by, by far the better team. They have the outstanding talent of their generation who go away are not going to be able to get a handle on and David Clifford in the final. We Shane Walsh. Five points. Shane Walsh is a very, very good player. Damian Comer is a very good player, but nobody's on the level of where Clifford is right now. And, you know, Galway have got the job done. They were on the right side of the draw. Would Galway have beaten Dublin? I'm not quite convinced. Uh, I think everything we have seen so far suggests that Kerry win this. You could well be right. It could well be a close game. And, you know, maybe Kerry's fitness levels haven't pretty much been at it since week one in January since going out in the McGrath Cup. Maybe uh, they'd be able to... Maybe they'd be able to stick with it. I'm not sure what you're playing in the background there, Chair. Sorry, yeah. Just the, uh, <laughs> the uh, YouTube yeah, channel... <laughs> youtube.com forward slash off the ball that's what it was yeah you like to watch yourself while you're on uh, I don't know Johnny I, listen, this is bonus territory for Galway isn't it getting to an all out of yeah, final uh, it is yeah absolutely I, I, w- I would say that but uh, I think if you compare our forwards to their forwards a lot will depend on Clifford I'm not really sure how they manage him I don't I don't know physically if our full back compare, sorry sorry their forwards to your forwards they've got David Clifford mm-hmm. they've got Paddy Clifford they've got Shawnee O'Shea yeah we have It's not just David Clifford. Yeah, we have we have a really good forward line, two of whom didn't even play that well in the semi final. Walsh and Finnerty will expect to play a lot better. I think David Moran's lack of mobility will help the fact that Conroy doesn't have that much mobility in midfield because they're two Conroy will, will be able to get on the ball a bit. Um our defence is pretty good, it has to be said. Okay, you're talking yourself into it. We've got two weeks of this, it's gonna be a long two weeks. A week and a half. We can we can do it again. It is oh my god, I gotta say it's it's it's, it's insufferable listening to go with people hype themselves up ahead of an all Ireland final. I, I genuinely like I went into the Limerick game in the hurling and I said all week we've no chance. Got slightly more hopeful as the week went on. I everyone I speak to in Galway gives us a re- very, very realistic chance of beating Kerry, and I fully believe that we've every chance. Right. It's seven forty five. Nathan's on to talk golf because the open is on. And uh, and Tiger. So very quickly, Richard Rebolds on YouTube says Johnny Ward two 0 up on Murphy early, and Rick Jagger says Johnny Ward is always up on everyone else. 
You, you got a fan club is out today. Wow, all two of them. Um, sorry, Nathan. I, I didn't. I didn't mean to. Like the, the, I, I've said this before, and I've gotten a lot of abuse at home. I genuinely want Mayo to win All Ireland when Galway are out. Um, I, I like Mayo people. I love visiting Mayo. Um, I think you've brought so much Gaelic football, and I would hope it will be reciprocated on Sunday week. Not a chance. <laughs> Does anyone in Mayo actually want Galway to win? No. It's because it's like no. Well, I try. I've been on a, a date with that girl like twenty times, and you just rocked up, and you just pulled her straight away, and she just kept turning me down despite promising me the world and now you just brought her you know brought her a nice meal showed her how good you are and bang bang <laughs> probably don't wish me well do you wish uh, me well no I think if Galway had been there and contenders for four or five years bang, there bang. might be a bit of warmth but <laughs> they're just they're just rocking up and bang bang Johnny is not something male people will appreciate it is, it is mad Galway. though the lack of Connacht all Ireland wins like when you think Galway in 98 2001 it's not a huge number of counties it's so low like there's not a huge number of Galway and Mayo and also it's not very populated compared to the rest of the country you know fast swathes of Connemara are nothing but like tumbleweed and uh, stone walls. You're going down some dangerous roads this no, morning. I just, I mean, the facts are it's not particularly yeah, popular. Galway plays two sports, like hurling and football, and so therefore the county is divided immediately. Mm. And those, those, most of those great clubs aren't dual clubs. There's great football clubs and great hurling clubs, but like, no, no, you're you're right there. Mayo has a pretty big population and does n- literally nothing but football. Like no interest in anything in the wider world. Keith Higgins would uh, would dispute that, but anyway, yeah. And um, and they've got their fishing. They've got their oil. Floats on a bed of oil. I was I was on Clare Island last year, stunning. And I met a I met a farmer who said he'd no interest in football. I was like, What? What? You're from Mayo? And he goes, No, jeez, I don't know. I just can't get it all. And it's just like you're literally the first person in Mayo. I'm looking up the population, hundred and thirty thousand. You're the first person in Mayo who wasn't stone mad about football. Uh, Rory Larmer says how does Walsh keep getting away with these performances every week exactly the same against Armagh well because he's kicking unbelievable scores and uh, the performance against Armagh if you listen to the football pod they were making the point that all of their attacks went down the left hand side because he's reliable he's going to find the best person um, from play and make the correct pass it's like uh, unless you're scoring 7 points you've done nothing in the game yeah well the funny thing was like his performance against Armagh was like 20 out of 10 until he gave the ball away so needlessly well, for that and it, it's those little moments so Galway go out everyone's blaming yeah. everyone's oh, blaming Shane but he was also like he was relentlessly amazing. he was amazing he was also game. relentlessly beaten like yeah. dragged to the ground head smashed yeah. kicked punched gouged and is like yeah no problem I'll just kick this over with either of my feet from you know 60 yards like yeah, he's been it's doing what Sean Shea's been doing all, all year yeah. and it's like can't get no love just can't get no love anyway amazing talent. we have plenty of time for that it's the hurling's on this weekend. Like, why are we talking about? We've got, we've got. Don't worry, we'll get to that with uh, Tommy Walsh a little bit later on. Nathan Tiger Woods is on the back of all the papers, uh, giving out about live golf and mm. saying that mm, they are a betrayal of the sport. He, he has basically ripped into, uh, in a calm and precise way, the whole notion of live golf, the tournaments, the people joining it, the lack of competition, the fact that you're just getting guaranteed money. Uh, it's really interesting to see like golf's most important person do this. He did half an hour of a press conference yesterday and it was unthinkable Tiger Woods doing this type of press conference five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where he spoke in depth about the history of the game and his uh, love of St. Andrews and his memories of watching Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus uh, tee off in their final rounds of what it meant to him when 
Tiger Woods rocked up because Arnold Palmer was teeing off at a similar time to he was. He certainly wasn't getting out of bed early to see it at the time. He was so focused on his own thing. Whereas this week, he's looking around at the 150th Open. He's taken in all the history. Uh, he knows it's probably going to be his last time at St. Andrews. He says it's not going to be his last major. But he was as honest, and he had clearly thought about this as to what he was going to say on Live Golf because he hasn't really spoken about it publicly. He never mentioned the billion dollars that he was reportedly offered to join Live Golf, but he absolutely eviscerated the idea of Live Golf straight away from the offset. Greg Norman, it was the right decision not to invite him to the Champions Dinner. Uh, that you know he has done some things that aren't in the best interests of golf. So this week is all about the good of golf, about the history of golf. So why would you bring somebody like Greg Norman into that? And you're right. He basically took the piss then out of live golf. Of like, This is not what we were brought up to believe golf is. 54 holes, loud music banging on every single hole. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, no great pressure on anybody to perform because there's no cuts in these events. So like Tiger clearly has nailed his colors to the mast. Because one of the ironic things about Liv is that players constantly talk about being free agents and want to be able to pick and choose what they do. And a lot of the older players don't want to play as much golf. They want to spend more time with their family. Ian Poulter said he'd missed 55% of his young kids' upbringing last week. And he wants to spend more time with their family. You sign up to this, you've got to play the tournaments. You have to. It might only be eight at the moment. It could be 14 next year. But they want you at their tournaments. So actually, you have less freedom to pick and choose what events you play by signing up to Live Golf. Now, it does feel that this has come maybe a little bit too late from Tiger Woods. Already, a lot of the big guns are gone. More are going to go over the next few weeks. Uh, but a Live Golf tour without Tiger Woods, without Rory McIlroy at the very least is going to mean there's a massive divide in the game because you're going to have the best players on two sides if half of them go to live and Rory and Tiger stay on the other side. Is there anybody who's been really good over the last 18 months fit and you know committed to playing golf and trying to be the world number one and winning majors who's gone to live golf over the last couple of weeks? <sighs> Not really. Like, they have a huge amount of the big names. We we spoke about the PIP, the uh, performance. I'm not sure what exactly it stands for, but it's performance payment, basically, where the top 10 of the PGA Tour get money for nothing. And several of the guys in that, so the big start, like Brooks Kepka going felt like a big deal. Like, Brooks Kepka is an absolute superstar in the game. Bryson DeChambeau, you just had to see the reaction to DeChambeau even down in the Dare Manor last week. Like, he is one of the top five names in golf right now. Now, he hasn't been able to perform for the last couple of years or last year because of injury and maybe uh, with the way he swings a club and uh, maybe he'll never fully get over those injuries. Uh, Dustin Johnson's been one of the stars for the last 10, 15 years, but nobody in the top 10 in the world has gone. Uh, none of the guys who've been contending week in, week out on the PGA Tour. So that unquestionably makes it difficult for Liv. When they're having conversations at the moment, which are happening today, as from what I understand, around world rankings, and that is absolutely key for this is if they don't get world ranking approval very quickly an awful lot of these players aren't going to be able to play in majors so if you just have to look at tiger woods who went from pretty much top 10 in the world to nearly a thousand in the world because he hasn't played for the space of 18 months an awful lot of these guys who don't have exemptions from being former winners or been allowed in until they're 60 they're going to be gone by the Masters because they're going to just plummet down the world rankings if they're not playing events. So suddenly their other earning capabilities or their chances of winning majors are going to be gone because of this. And it's hard to see how the world rankings organization, which uh, you know, PGA Tour are very invested in, would allow this. Okay. Um, 
what's going to happen at this? I see loads of people complaining about the fact that the course might be too easy this week. Like, didn't when Faldo won, he started with a 66-67. Is that right? Yeah, it's going... Well, Rory in 2010 started with a 63. Uh, The difference between now and 2010 was that Rory started with a 63, perfect conditions, and then the wind just whipped up on the afternoon of the Friday and Rory shot 80, and everybody who was in that side of the draw was pretty much knocked out of the tournament of contending for it. Uh, The weather, as we know at the moment, is sensational, and there's going to be little or no wind. So St. Andrews has no protection if there's no wind. Uh, Tiger was saying yesterday that the fairways are running faster than the greens. Uh, It is rock hard. The expectation is that a lot of the par fours will be drivable. Uh, Certainly all the par fives will be gettable in two. That players will be having seven, eight eagle putts. Uh, 63 is still the lowest round in a major at St. Andrews. A few players have had that. Don't be at all surprised if that goes. Harrington was interesting in terms of like this... Could the course be humiliated? Like, could we have a 30 under par winning an Open Championship at St. Andrews? And would that mean that actually we shouldn't have an Open Championship at St. Andrews? Like, I think that's overblown in terms of do people care? What they want to see is an exciting tournament. And if it's close going down on Sunday afternoon, going down the stretch, I don't think anyone would really mind what the score is. Uh, Harrington reckoned that don't be surprised that somebody shoots very very low in the 60s because you can go for everything and somebody will get lucky on a day and everything will fall to them but didn't seem to think over the course of four days that that was a strategy that would work and that the overall winning score would be too low but it certainly looks as though it's going to be an absolute shootout uh, Jordan Spieth was saying he expects it just to be the player with the best wedge game will win this because everybody is going to be bombing at miles in fact right. I say in some holes that have to tone it down a little bit because the ball is just going to run and run and run Okay alright well look uh, it's obviously getting underway tomorrow we'll preview this a little bit later with uh, John Duggan too it's um, 7.55 this morning so let's move on to uh, the League of Ireland uh, very progressive controlled performance from Shamrock Rovers because they knew they were through from the first leg yeah it was a terrible terrible game um, lucky enough it wasn't televised except for on news now um, but Shamrock Rovers knew in intense heat um, I've seen Nathan describes the weather as sensational I would describe it as um extremely worrying actually but it is sensational I guess if uh, you know in Ireland at the moment it's nice weather but on a European scale it's apocalyptically bad actually at the moment but Rovers had to deal with that it was very hot got an ill-all draw and they're true they now have a big issue with trying to play Ludogorets because um, they can't charter a plane and they have to get to Bulgaria um trains, planes and automobiles I guess but it's a first world problem but it is an issue for them in the sense that they're not really sure how they're going to travel to the game. What's the difficulty, sorry? Um, they can charter a flight, I mean I, I know there are problems in the airline industry at the moment, I don't know why but they, they, they couldn't fly. They from, couldn't charter a flight from Dublin for this game to, to go, to, go sh- to, Shannon. to Shannon, yeah um, by all accounts had a great experience in Shannon um, but yeah it's 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 difficult because it's a loaded schedule to play a, a very very good side miles better than Hibernians next week and not know how to get there for a game on Tuesday I think It, it was a very professional performance and I say mm. Stephen Bradley was delighted it was as dull a game as possible uh, they got Jack Byrne back on the pitch as well which he is was huge good. Uh, yeah. for even 15-20 minutes uh, you'd have to think it puts him in contention to maybe start next week and as Johnny said, the difficulties of getting there against a much better team. But last night opens up the door to everything for Shamrock Rovers because they're guaranteed, what, six more games now in Europe. Mm. So they would go from, if they were to lose along the way, go from Champions League playoff to uh, Europa League uh, qualifier to Europa Conference League playoff and then just one game away from qualifying from the Conference League. So they now know they've got a run of fixtures over 
the next six weeks where they're going to be playing European football week in, week out with the cushion of what is it, a 10-point lead at the top of the Premier Division so they don't need to overly concern themselves with what's going on in the league. I'm sure a lot of their matches will be called off as well. Uh, but like Ludogorets are maybe the team they want to become. Like Ludogorets mm. were you know, a side who had uh, a long history without ever doing anything in Bulgaria. They're bought by an incredibly rich owner and they win 11 Bulgarian titles in a row. They qualify for Europe every season. Uh, they've got to the Europa League the last couple of years. You might remember a few years ago they were in Liverpool and Real Madrid's group in the Champions League. They drew at Liverpool in the Champions League. The last couple of years they haven't done anything though in Europe really. They've got to the group stage of the Europa League and haven't won a game. But still, the investment levels, again, it's a reminder of, you know, we look at Shamrock Rovers and think they're doing an awful lot of things right in Irish football and bringing through a lot of good young players and there's a bit of investment there as well. Uh, they're still a million miles away from what uh, Ludogorets are doing. So Ludogorets going to be clear favourites to go through? Oh, heavy favourites. Like, if you think back to, do you remember the 5-2 Dundalk uh, Shamrock Rovers game in Talonate and when I think there was a, like, you, you know, Rovers fans effectively calling for Stephen Bradley's head and I think in the very next game Gavin Bazunu made his debut I think and everything kind of changed from then but um, I'm really I'm really delighted that putting faith in a young manager who was unproven and clearly under pressure and most people probably would have said it was time for him to go at that time Shamrock Rovers decided that they'd had enough of letting managers go including um, Stephen Kenny um, Trevor Crawley and Pat Fenlon who had great pedigrees going into the jobs in, in, in many respects they struck with Bradley and as Nathan says there the worst case scenario now is that they'll be in a playoff for the group stages of the of the conference league which is worth a lot of money and the interesting thing here is we're on about like what do Mayo want for Galway and like Connacht teams should cheer on the other Connacht teams there is an element of other League of Ireland teams thinking well okay we, we would like the other League of Ireland teams to do well but if Shamrock Rovers make all this money in Europe and they have Dermot Desmond's backing are they going to become like so powerful in the League of Ireland that we can compete and that's probably a realistic thing but they have a long long way to go I think like they haven't been challenged enough I think to be anyway confident against Ludogorets and I'm still not sure about them in some areas when they come up against better opposition but it's great that they have six more games at least Alright we're going to move on to the other big stories from the last 24 hours or so um, we now know that Nathan Collins is going to be a, a Wolves player next year this has been speculated on for a long period of time I think maybe Leicester would have been the best possible outcome for him Nathan but ultimately this is also a really good outcome yeah, I think Leicester maybe have a slightly higher ceiling than Wolves, but uh, Wolves uh, have a manager who is very defensively minded. Uh, they conceded uh, the fewest amount of goals outside the top four last season. Uh, there's a spot there ready and waiting for him in the team. Romain Sice has left, his contract is up, so he'll play alongside Connor Cody and Max Kilman, assumedly on the right of a back three. Uh, and Wolves were very good last season. Like they had quite a few injuries through the season. Uh, there's no reason why they can't expect to finish top eight. I'd be interested to see what other business they do. Uh, Pedro Neto's back. He is one of the best players probably outside the top four now, but he was injured for the vast majority of last season. So one or two more players, and definitely they could be on the way. But this is a this is a great move. Like It's quite incredible how quickly this has happened, considering he only had the year at Stoke who spent an awful lot of money and uh, you have to assume it's not just built on what he did in the Nations League performances but like the quality of that goal uh, I think it suddenly brings everybody alive around English football to wait a second maybe we need to get this guy now because maybe another year at Burnley he's worth another 10 million because it does look a very good deal he's the most expensive Irish player in history like more and I know transfer fees of gone up and gone up and inflation and all of that and uh, I'm not saying you know he's at the level of a Robbie Keane just yet 
But still, for somebody at 21 with, you know, a season, half a season of Premier League football uh, under his belt at Burnley to get a move like this, and it just feels like it's a stepping stone. We had his dad on the show a couple of weeks back, and like everything everything about the family is built around football, and they understand every part of football. You know, his uncle is his agent. His dad was a kid at Liverpool. It didn't quite work out, so he knows the pitfalls that are there. But also the insight he gave into his personality as a 9-, 10-year-old who knew he was going to go and play in the Premier League, who was walking to train in a cherry orchard when his dad was coming home late from work because he wanted to be the best, who was analysing games when he was with the DDSL side at under 13 and going back to his dad coaching cherry orchard saying, why are these coaches doing all this good stuff over here that we're not doing? Like That's the, the depth of the man that is there in Nathan Collins. And it's just incredibly exciting, I think, for Irish football it's, to see it, where he's going. You're saying he's the Irish Johan Cruyff. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. He's going to have an influence on Irish football for the next well, seventy years. No it, pressure. It's a brilliant. Like St James's Gate, like who we'll, we'll all be familiar with, like um, here in St James's Gate in the FAI Cup down the years, and they they're effectively going out of business, and it's really sad. And to see Cherry Orchard getting a quarter of a million, I think, from this, and like it's great that Irish like Irish clubs who develop young players can can progress. But I'm asking Coach Murphy here. Just this just came into my head. Um, you've obviously a good pedigree in the game in terms of coaching yourself. If you're down <laughs> to your last. You, you can make one more signing, right? So fantasy football, and you've one more signing um, for the years to come, and it's the same amount of money. Do you sign Nathan Collins or Gavin Bazunu? Oh, I think you sign Nathan Collins. Absolutely, because mm. I think he, right now he's ready to go. He is ready to go. Like Bazunu, you could get twelve years out of twenty years. Everything goes right. Twenty years, uh, yeah, that's possible. That's the way you money back. On Listen, both both bo- both of these are brilliant because like we were facing the possibility ahead of these two transfers that there mightn't have been a single Irish player starting for their clubs in the Premier League this season. Nice we don't know what will happen with Seamus Coleman. Uh, Nathan Patterson's come in, whether he's ready or not. Coleman always uh, finds a way of proving us wrong and maybe he ends up playing every game for Everton this season. But, you know, Matt Doherty uh, doesn't look as though he's going to be in the starting eleven at Spurs or trying to sign a new right back in Jed Spence. It hasn't happened. Maybe Doherty ends up back at Wolves or maybe he just tries to stick it out at Tottenham. But certainly as you go through the Irish eleven, there's an awful lot of guys still just on the fringes and there's probably a few more transfers to go. But to know that like somebody who's going to be such an integral part of your team as Nathan Collins is going to be playing every single week at Wolves, that Bazunas at Southampton, like two very steady clubs is the thing as well. They're not, mm. you know, they're not they're not going to Bournemouth where you're thinking it's going to be a scrap and now they're going to be back playing championship football. I, it'd be a big surprise if either of these teams were in a relegation fight. Well, I, I think it'll be a scrap for Southampton. Um, you know, they, they go, they're very streaky and they can go on bad runs and I mean, they like have shown similar faith with their managers over the years. Um, so I don't expect them to sack the manager. Um, there's been plenty of opportunity for them to do that before. But like, you know, and they're, it's interesting that they're signing a bunch of those young players who have been out on loan from Manchester City. Uh, they've signed another one and they're linked with a third one at the moment. So we'll see what their business model is but uh, just to, to um, go back to those players the Troy Parrott situation uh, he was one of the few players that was quoted in the aftermath of the legendary training session as it is now where Harry Kane pukes I don't know if you saw any of this right but um, Spurs are on their pre-season I think they're in Korea does that make sense is that right was that? it does yeah and um, so they're doing the runs with this legendary fitness trainer who um, has trained all of Conte's teams and has a long history of um, you know extreme fitness and um, 
at the end of it, Troy Parr's like, no, actually, I, I was fine. I, I'm a great runner. And by all accounts, he like won all the running. So straight away, still linked with Sunderland. But is there a possibility that he stays at Spurs? Is there, like, is that, like, does this matter? Uh, like, like we, we've been through this with Troy Parrott in preseason before where we probably had the exact same conversation. I'm not sure it's the right thing for him to say at Tottenham. Like, right. they just spent 50 million on Richarlison. They they will buy a new attacking player every summer unless he is so impressive that Antonio Conte has a conversation and said, you know, I'm going to play Richarlison and Son just off Harry Kane, but I want you to be the, the next guy in. So you're not going to play often, but if Harry's not available, you're going to be there and you're going to train with the first team and you're going to be in every match day squad. So you're going to be getting 10 minutes every week, though Harry Kane never comes off. <laughs> so I, I, I think him getting out and playing football all of the time and maybe going... And going out and loan and scoring 15 goals in a season or 20 goals in a season. That's that's what you want from Troy Parrott. So that is it ever going to happen from a Tottenham? It's hard to see. But, you know, go and get it. You know, do exactly what Gavin Bazunu has done and get yourself another decent Premier League side in the next year or two. Um, the thing about Matt Doherty, just finally before we move on to the, the other uh, signings that happened yesterday from a midfield perspective, like is there, you know, we, we were writing him off when Conte arrived, but he did prove that Conte liked him and played his best football under Conte. Uh, could he also be just one of those like um, managers who plays two right backs? Like there was a long time where Pochettino was swapping in his full backs because it's so high intensity. You're expected to run nine to 11 kilometers per game. You know, you do it one week, you get the next week off, you do it one week, and there's a future for him? Or is it Jed Spence is going to start every single game? No, I think the temptation must be to stay because they're in the Champions League. You'll be one injury away from being first choice. And listen, he's, you know, I, Antonio Conte must respect what Matt Doherty's done when everyone felt Doherty wasn't going to be a Conte player and showed up as a really important player when they went on the run at the end of the season at right back, at left back. It's hard to look at the Tottenham squad and figure out exactly what the 11 is going to be because they've signed so many players and they already had good strength in a lot of positions already so you know they brought in Longley at the back does that mean somebody else is going to move to a different role uh, you know who else is going to be in those full back positions does Ben Davies move to a, a left wing back role Sessegnon there as well so I, if I was in Doherty's position I'm sure he's on a you know he's on a very good wage at Tottenham they're a top four team I'd hang it out for the season and see where this goes yeah. under Antonio Conte may not be the best thing for Stephen Kenny for Ireland but, but- yeah. He's showed up when he's not been playing and played well, and when you know he is playing, it's it doesn't seem. Well, to have what, an what, what, what do you want? Like, and it doesn't even need to be one injury to be rotation. Like you're going to start, you're going to play a lot of big games. Like you're going to be playing in some of these matches against Liverpool and Manchester City yeah, and United when they yeah, really mean something. You, you mentioned Seamus Collins well before we wrap up. I didn't want to bring up Sligo Rovers, your Castle Bar, their Castle Bar base manager, um, presuming they beat Ballot Town Thursday night, Motherwell, which would be some crack, Nathan. Motherwell in the next round. Mm. Yes. Uh, Sligo's a great place for a European game as well. Mm. I was a member of Inlander. They play Rose, was it Mulder they played a few years Mulder, back? yes. I the think most, uh, the most Solskjaer? welcoming uh, group. Solskjaer was there at the time, yeah. yeah. And they about 20, I remember about 20 Mulder fans arrived over and they brought them into the clubhouse and fed them a drink for the evening. And uh, I think it was the best away trip Mulder had ever been on. Mm. It's funny, like... So, so I- yeah, after like Derry, Derry was obviously a huge disappointment last yeah. week. So maybe they can turn it around. But... Uh, 
every little bit of progression in Europe for any of these teams is good. And for some reason, there's always something about the Scottish teams you feel like Irish teams should be able to get something. Oh, to- totally. They're out of season. And Sligo would bring like some crowd to Motherwell. Like for a town of what, 20,000, they're phenomenal sport. Mayo is a football county, Gaelic football county. Sligo is a proper football town. And um, probably to the um, negative effect of, of the Gaelic footballers and other sports, but it's a proper Spoken football like a town. true McEntee there, but yeah. Yeah, well, he was, he was on and I oh, brought that right. up and he basically said that, but he's staying on. So all is good. But best of luck to Sligo. Go really hope they do it, and I hope everyone in Sligo, Mayo, Roscommon, and Leitrim hope that Galway beat Kerry on Sunday week. Very quickly, um, and New York. Good, good moves for Josh Cullen and Jeff Hendrick. Jeff Hendrick needs to play a lot of football. That's the the one thing that's been missing from his CV over the last couple of years, and uh, he's got to move. Uh, Paul Ince is praising him, so fingers crossed he's going to play. Yeah, I think he will play. It's a shame. I, I just think Hendrick is a Premier League player. I think he has enough quality. Um, but maybe a season, maybe a season back, and he gets a, a late run at it. But he just needs to play a lot of football. Like he, you know, he's all about energy. He's all about being super fit. So, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't play 46 games in a Championship season. And Josh Cullen back at Burnley. Burnley, with the ownership, there were huge questions at the end of last season as to what way the club was going to go. Like they've lost all their centre halves now. They've lost Tarkowski, me. And Nathan Collins, uh, maybe Kevin Long, finally having sat on the bench for about five years, getting two games a season, becomes the main man. And obviously Luke McNally is in there as well. McNally's uh, going to be fascinating. Like that's, like, I, I was, I was on to him. Uh, we did a be, I did a piece to him last year. And where does he play? Remember the centre back. Do you remember the stats about Nathan Collins? Um, and I'm not sure if they even mean anything, but he's top speed in the the last Ireland game. Um, the Ukraine game was like 34 kilometers an hour. Luke McNally is absolutely rapid. Like he is so fast. And I was kind of putting it to him, like, we need to get the two of you to have a sprint in training because this lad is so fast and he is, the ceiling for him is high. Like, he's a really, really good kid. Same thing, Nathan, with, with the two of them. He's so grounded and he just seems a good lad. And So we're all going to be cheering Burnley next season. I, 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 well, I can't wait to see he goes because, like, he, he did really well for Oxford, but it is obviously a step up. Yeah, Burnley was one of these clubs where there was a feeling that the owners were taking a huge amount of money out of it. And maybe you look at the sale of Nathan Collins and think, is mm. that what they're doing again? But Vincent Company has always come across as a pretty smart guy. Is he going to go to Burnley unless there was a plan? And like because right. of his reputation, like Vincent Company has a chance of getting a very good job. So that'll be our championship team next year. Background work. Um, last one here, Shifty Lad. I can't believe no one has commented on Manchester United going to win the league after a demolition of Liverpool yesterday, four 0 in Thailand in the Bangkok Cup. There was a trophy handed over uh, the end of Manchester United's trophy duck broken in Thailand, and um, it's just interesting. It was interesting in the aftermath of the game. Klopp goes, oh, it's hard for our younger players out there, particularly in midfield, when they're essentially being man-marked. You're like, something different is happening at Manchester United that is not the same as it has been. Organisation. Who could have thought such a thing would work? Uh, I think Liverpool tried, was it over 30 players over the course of the game? Uh, They're only back in training a week, uh, but it's like Manchester United is such a basket case. If Liverpool had gone and beaten Manchester United 4-0, like, it, it, you know, I don't want to say there'd be pressure already, but there'd be a massive overreaction to it. Liverpool could probably take their 4 0 beating and try out 30 players and move on to the next preseason game. Whereas United, you do feel, need a bit of momentum. And signs, as you're saying early on, I didn't watch this friendly yesterday, but signs maybe that there's an actual plan there. Jaden Sancho turning into a good footballer. It'd be like a new signing, as the <laughs> old cliche goes. Nathan, good stuff. Who's going to win the Open? Dustin Johnson. Right. Live forever. Out of nowhere, right? 
Are you signing up to live? Is that what, is this how this that, works? Well, You're like, ah, oh, live's disaster, but I love their said, golfers. Ar- Arlo, Arlo White, who's getting uh, rightly hammered for his commentary, uh, because uh, to say they're excited about absolutely every shot that has ever hit on live is an understatement. Uh, but Arlo's salary went from, you know, several hundred thousand euros a year to several million a year. So, so you would be the listen, same. Johnny, Johnny Ward will come with me. <laughs> absolutely. Good stuff, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Round two of the 2022 Euros is underway, and as it stands, it looks like England might be living up to their home favourites tag, having beaten Norway 8-0 on Monday night. Naturally, Kathleen and Karen had plenty of thoughts about it on the latest Koi Gig pod. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Uh, Kathleen McNamee and Karen Duggan are with you every Tuesday and Friday morning across the group stages of the tournament. Take a look at this clip. We'll see you back after the break with Kilkenny legend Tommy Walsh live in studio ahead of the All-Ireland Hurling semi Hurling final, not semi. It's the real thing. OTB AM. 16 minutes past eight and we are delighted to say Tommy Walsh is with us in studio. Tommy, how are you? Yeah, good morning, Jar. What's the level of nerves like? How, when, does it, when do you start the build-up now to an All-Ireland final like this? Are, are you've been thinking about it non-stop for two weeks or are you trying to hold it at bay because you don't want to peak too soon? Yeah, well, I suppose this week is a little bit different, Jar, because we're going for the double. <laughs> <laughs> First time since Cork, I think, is it 1990? So we have the football in the bag now from last weekend, so hopefully the hurling will follow. When does it start? You know, as they listen to Paul Murphy and Skettle there during the week, and, um, you know, they were talking about the knots in your stomach, that they just suddenly appear, and, um, you know, that's so true. So you could be, you know, tipping along, doing your, do, going about your day as per normal, and next minute something just, yeah. It, it could be a reference to Crow Park, or you might meet someone in the shop, or putting petrol in the car, and they might mention something, and it comes, and, you know, it's all earned final week, or a big game day, like... And um, and could that happen at any point in the week, like Monday, Tuesday? Except- oh yeah, well, and I'd then say any time after the All Ireland semi final, right? But it kind of gets bigger as the the closer they get to the game. And once they're there, do they do they come and go, or is that it? Now you're like kind of in ribbons for the whole week. Just come on, just get through this. Yeah, and I suppose experience helps you in that regard, and maybe winning one um, will help you. So, like I was lucky enough. Um, in my preparations that I suppose from an underage career you're used to be playing in big games so the way I used to deal with it was I wouldn't be afraid of it so when I came in I used to let it flow back out right. instead of saying oh why is you know why am I feeling like this which the game is over and um, I used to just let it come in and out Right. so I think about something else straight away so I wasn't running away from the fact but I was able to I suppose get, get by that way and as well, my first year on the panel, like it was, it was actually 20 years ago now, 2002, uh, I was called in after the Leinster final. And um, myself and DJ, DJ came back. As a <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it was just DJ at the time. But, <laughs> but listen, we came, we, we came in after the Leinster final. And um, I remember actually a funny story around DJ at that time. Like they were after playing the Leinster final against Wexford. I think they beat him 19 points to 17. And um, I suppose the older leaders on, on the squad DJ was after retiring that time and but he was still young felt that to win in All-Ireland they need DJ back so they got talking after the Leinster final I don't know was it the night of the Leinster final or could have been the day after as you would and um, slowly but surely then talk got around and someone obviously went out to meet him or rang him and DJ was back and he right. was a huge part of, of winning that but just going back sorry to the nervous part was I was a sub then that year and never got on so the first few weeks you're looking forward to it you're so excited to be part of it with your heroes but then you realise I don't want to be a sub like you know I want to be playing 
that so you have no nerves coming up to a final no right. nerves to a semi-final so after that I said to myself you know what give me all the nerves in the world all the knots in the stomach in the world I'll take it just to be part of it so um, I learned that listen while you'd love to go out and play like a challenge game isn't it better to have that than not being playing at all definitely uh, did someone talk to you about that or was that just like self-taught yourself or was that the type of thing that you could go to other players on the team or anybody in management or was there somebody that you could kind of go look I feel like this uh, I wouldn't mind not feeling like this or what does this feeling mean like yeah well I experienced it and I experienced it like in a, when you're from a small place um, you usually make most teams so there was once I didn't make it when all the friends in, in my class it was kind of a league game I think it was against the Borough in the Borough and um, I saw again and it was rare enough I suppose at the time because I said from a small place but I hated it and so I think through experience of going through the feelings of having nothing and no nerves no anticipation no excitement I said you know I learned that I'd rather have it all so and then you learn from just being there I think then that just led in and out and obviously there'd be lads passing on messages throughout I can't remember exactly but yeah but that, that whole pressure is a privilege cliche that exists now that you were living that basically like I want the pressure I want the nerves because that means that I'm in the team and that means there's something big there's a prize on offer absolutely and I probably lived through I lived through it so I lived through without no pressure yeah so I, I knew both sides of yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. it wasn't the grass is kind of green or whereas maybe if you'd made the team in the first year it might have been completely different oh yeah I'd say all the pressure would be on you and you'd know no different because you've seen the heights yeah. uh, straight away like was it Tiger Woods was talking about the live golfers there yesterday and he was like these guys are getting money without going through the dirt without having to earn it and it was an interesting one from, from, from him because I suppose having read his book and that with his dad and that, even though he became what he became, as in superior golfer to, to everybody else, the work he put in. And the relentless practice. Relentless practice. So he appreciated it, what it took for him to do, to get where, where, where he got. So the same thing goes for, for, for all of us, you know. And, and then I think big leaders, older leaders on your team help as well. Like when I started, Andy Comfort was yeah. the captain, 2002. Yeah. And like, as of leaders, he is up there just an authoritative figure uh, I'd say it was 2003 All-Ireland Final I think he was a sub he was a captain in 2002 2003 All-Ireland Final I think he came on and uh, put his foot in he lost his hurl put his foot in and broke hurls off, off his off his leg he didn't even feel it you know <laughs> now I know Larry Murphy put his head in where other lads won't put his hurl but listen head or, head or leg Good uh, it's, it's a brave thing to do what will so. the Kilkenny um, panel be like confidence wise going into this game because Limerick they know this so well now whereas some of the Limerick, uh, Kilkenny lads they're obviously outsiders like will they have any fear going in I don't want to have fear but um, I think going in as an underdog when you have a great chance is not a bad way to go in do you think they have a great chance I do think they have a great chance absolutely um, they showed that in the semi-final um, history is an amazing thing too and rivalries and sometimes a team can you know no matter when they play or what kind of form or what kind of team they put out um, they have the ability to be competitive against another team mm. like Kenny have always been against Limerick like you go back to John Kyle like these guys have been so dominant for the last couple of years but 2017 their first year Kenny beat them 2018 then Limerick turned the tide and we beat them again in 2019 so like it's two to one in, in that mm. era and you couldn't say Kilkenny were always the, the better team so I think that, that they have a great chance to, to be a great chance I suppose Johnny you have to have 
at this time of the year you have to have a savage work rate but you also have to have individual brilliance we're going to talk about the five key battles that you've picked out first I have one last question about the DJ thing did the players go to DJ or did they go to Cody first because like, Cody had to be on board with DJ coming back right yeah so did, did you did yeah I don't I can't remember that now um, only half of coming up in the car there to be honest but big enough for Cody to like it definitely happened as yeah. regards the players chatting around yeah. as, as doing, you know, as somebody as had to go to Brian and say listen you know he's really good could we get him back and we won't we won't mind if he comes back yeah but you see there's, DJ, another, there's another kid called Tommy Welsh you could bring in as well Brian yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think they said that <laughs> but uh, see DJ rewind back the clock like DJ was a god you know the same way as you know I don't know who's a god now, but DJ was a god to all the Kenny folk. Keen Lynch, like Keen Lynch, absolutely. Yeah, Joe yeah. Canning, Joe Canning. So that's what you're talking about with regards to DJ. Um, like I often spoke about it here before, like when DJ was in the county final, Kenny he used to bring five thousand more people to yeah. the final. Yeah, um, it was the buzz that when he got the ball, but also it was the humility. Um, he was so nice, like you know, Mikey Carey, his son. There's talk about Brian. He, he managed DJ to a to an All Ireland final. Now he's managing Mikey into an uh, to contest an All Ireland final this weekend. Well, in 2002, Mikey and Sean, his brother, they used to be in around when we were stretching. They were in around the train sessions, and DJ was there like one of us, and he had great words of encouragement for all the young fellas. Yeah, it was never DJ. I'm the king. It was listen. I look after you. And that's the way DJ. So once Brian knew that that he was bringing back in, I suppose a guy of that humility and that respect, and also he knew he gives a great chance of winning all earned. You couldn't get away with that, Kilkenny, could you? Being bigger than anyone, like well, under Brian will say, like because it's the selfish nature. Like this is the collective, like yeah. And I suppose that's what's so similar to the two lads managing on Sunday. Mm. It's all about culture. Um, you know John Kiley's the very same like you see him speaking on the papers there this morning about they love going for a coffee together that was really interesting and and they holiday together like and they enjoy each other's company that seems to be important when you reach this level where it's relentless the level of dedication and commitment that they have they have to enjoy each other's company otherwise it wouldn't work absolutely Ger and as well you go back to five years ago 2018 the the guys that started all in semi-final this year was 13 starters from 2018 which was five years ago that's incredible and Johnny if you don't have a a, a real team spirit it's easy to say it but live Mm. through it and do it you're not going to have that kind of you know consistency because Mm. you'll have people getting bitter why am I playing and this and that but no they seem to have a real real incredible spirit like David Reedy came on the last day like how long has he been a sub at this stage Mm. why didn't he say you know what I've got my All-Ireland medals John obviously doesn't he doesn't want to pick me I'm going to move off now and get on with my life no he stayed going would Limerick be in the All-Ireland final this weekend only for David Reilly David Reilly so it goes back to he said it's spirit and you know togetherness enjoyment and did you guys have that or was it a bit different no we loved it right now we didn't really have to, in, in my the gym wasn't really so like we met three times a week yeah so we met each other as great crack and um, trainings were tough and all that but we were allowed to be ourselves like, you know, Brian Cody, in his interviews, he's very much, you think he's, you know, um, the school teacher kind of, listen, there's no fun here. But he loved all that. Right. You know, like the characters, like you hear about the John Mulhalls, the Racker Cody's, who's the yeah. kid man, fierce and part and part to say, oh, they're laughing and joking, going around, high-fiving, and loves all that. You yeah. have to have it, like. And you have to have it, mm. and they know that. Because if you have a, this dour kind of a camp, mm. so it's grand when you're winning. 
but as soon as something goes wrong that's when you'll see people walking away or giving up or mm. you know like you see one interesting point is you know Paul Mannion's interviews yeah. since the club he just he, he finds that there was just too much involved but we were lucky enough we came before that era Yeah, we didn't have really the analysis and there was no like no one tracking your calories or your heart rate or any of that stuff absolutely not and the way we believed at that time and it was probably before the current era of you know science and that was if you're playing well you're doing the right things if you're eating five breakfast rolls a week stay eating them mm. it's working on Sunday mm. you know I always say 1005 now we didn't mean to all learn but I had a fry every day this summer working on building sites you know now again we didn't win so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do <laughs> <laughs> I should have been eating the food and the pasta <laughs> so uh, you know but it, it, was a di- it was a different era like you know that's actually like that that's what t- 2005 like that might as well be like 1940 it's that alien to this year like can you imagine doing that now like you wouldn't you wouldn't get away with it maybe once a week yeah, no. It's mad, isn't it? Well, I, maybe, maybe these players are training so much that you can. I, I'd say you were working off whatever, um, you know, and then training on top of it as well. Yeah, I didn't work then. Listen, it's all through with confidence too. If you mm. think you're doing the right thing, mm. you're, that's it. You're doing the right thing. I remember 2000, and I don't know what year it was. Paul Murphy was after coming onto the panel, and um, probably won. So it could have been 2013, maybe when we lost. But um, Paul was after putting on a bit of weight, and. Um, you know they're, they're, they're on to him you know what's he eating because you have to give the, your, your your nutritional plan what you're eating day to day you know and he was eating this and he's eating that and we have the goujons down in Langton's you know the, the, the meal you have after training the nutritionist like uh, goujons <laughs> and we were after eating goujons for about 10 years after <laughs> in 7 or 8 all Ireland you know and uh, they didn't know that we were getting goujons uh, to Friday you know and um, so they were gone off the menu after that <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm saying is I, what, the way I looked at that at that time is we were eating chicken so yeah, chicken was uh, good yeah. like bread was good it was carbohydrates and um, so like a lot of it to do was in the head yeah. <laughs> about as well and another good one about that was um, I don't know do they still get it but um, <clears throat> Friday nights for I learned so you know the way you'd be eating trying to eat right especially championship you know like say if you're having a cup of tea during January, February, March, you probably have four or five digestive biscuits <laughs> with it. Like, you know, you might have enough snack bars, I'll wait. But coming into championship, you'd only have to cup of tea. Yeah. You might have yogurt, banana, or something like that. Uh, that was the sacrifice we were making. <laughs> but, um, but, and the same in Langton. So you weren't allowed to have dessert, yeah. you know. Now, in the start of it, probably before our time, you probably were allowed to have dessert, but now you weren't. But the Friday night before in All-Ireland, the biggest game of your, of your life, really, you could have anything. <laughs> you could have fit rolls, you could have cheesecake, you know. You know what? Looking back, it was great. It was well off. We were so excited getting the old cheesecake or the fit rolls. You know, it led into yeah. a great feeling. Yeah. And then you were buzzing come Sunday. And, uh, you know, sure, what did it really matter at that stage? But, Absolutely. You know. And uh, did everybody hate Paul Murphy for getting the Goo Johns taken <laughs> off the menu? <laughs> oh, you did. your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Goo Johns. <laughs> oh, we weren't happy with him. You say Maud loves the chicken nuggets. I mean, well, that was it. it. Right, let's get through these individual battles. Because, like, um, you've been talking about this, this team, this Kilkenny team, with a lot of confidence about the quality of the individuals. And it looks as if that quality of the individuals is beginning to mesh into a team. It's been quite the journey from a group who were uh, uncertain about how to play through the lines to a team who now looks fairly confident doing that, but who aren't just a team who plays through the lines, who can go along if they need to. Yeah. 
and um, you know going through the lines is, is, is probably the, the terminology on it I think the way these managers look at it is heads up hurling so if it's long you, and there's one on one inside give it in that, is all, that will always be the best ball Yeah. it's just if they have a spare man coming back or half back coming back mopping up the whole time then no listen lads this isn't working so heads up hurling nowadays is you give the 5 or 10 yard pass uh, if there's a lad free you will often see a left half back or a right half back will be free when a full someone in the full back line gets it, why is that? Because the, the big danger as a midfielder, a half as or a half forward is when a guy gets in the full back line or out round in, he launches it and there's a goal opportunity. So you will kind of naturally start drifting back. Yeah. So it, na- it often leaves a wing back free um, out on his wing, and you see Kyle Hayes isn't there anymore, but they, um, you know, um, Dermot Burns and, and Dan Morrissey. You'll often see probably not Dan Morrissey, probably more of a marker and. But but definitely Dearma Burns and Kilkenny did that the last day. And it was the Crow Park then is such a different place than Salt Hill, such a different place than, than Nolan Park. Whether they are or whether they aren't, Crow Park is bigger. You know. And it isn't really, it's 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 not it's nominal if at all, like it's just yeah. psychologically or something. I understand that, Jay, but I still can't get my head yeah. around it because playing on it, it's massive. And like I played in the old Crow Park. The mm. old Crow Park was small. And it hills and bumps and hollows. And I was amazed in 2001 playing as a minor. Tockrow Park was only the biggest field of all time. And it was tiny. I couldn't get over it. It was like nearly playing on a soccer field or a rugby field. Mm. But the new Crow Park, I'm not sure what year that came in, the, the new field, I think it was around 2002, I'd say. Yeah, it was 2002. That was huge. And I know what you're saying. And the metrics are probably the same as some places. But listen, it's all about when you're out there and it is massive and it's special awareness and it's like the mm. fact that the 80,000 people and all that I think well or or the fact that the stadium is so big that mm. like you know yeah. maybe it's the and the funny thing is in the smaller grounds you'd say the people are close to you it is smaller but Johnny 80,000 people or two people in Crow Park it's still massive mm. I always found mm. just more space to find that so I think it might suit him Ger, to play more this style they tried it up in Salt Hill against Galway and they're overturned for about 1-4 and so there was a crisis then I presume like I can only imagine what training is like after that but they they stuck with it because they had to stick with it because they had to evolve if they're going to beat Limerick which is ultimately what at the start of the year everybody was like well okay it'd be great to it'd be great to do well this year but we have to beat Limerick if we're going to win this thing yeah and like you say they stuck with it they did and they didn't I think when the pressure came on them in Salt Hill they went bang to launching it when the pressure came on him in Nolan Park against Wexford, they went back to launching him. But since then, they seem to me, listen, lads, this isn't working anymore. We have to be able to play it around. And if if it's on, give it in. If it's not, though, and it's not working. So let's talk about some of the battles, right? You picked Paddy Deegan versus Garrod Hegarty. Um, Hegarty got taken off in the last game, which I, you know, <laughs> I haven't been so. The goal in the previous match was so spectacular. Like, you know, if, if Tony Kelly's point hadn't happened, we'd be talking about it as one of the scores of the season. And we probably will be at the end of the year anyway. Yeah. But um, our backs are quite well. Like, or actually, our backs are quite. I think four of the four of the Limerick forwards came off. I think taken off. Yeah. The subs didn't do badly either when they come on. But like, yeah. Um, Paddy Deegan's story is fairly amazing. Uh, part of that under twenty one team beaten by Westmead. There's eight of that crew who were on the the squad here, which again kind of you know gives voice to that whole maybe winning isn't the best thing for a lot of young teams but um, also uh, played up front for the club last year in, in big games and can win his own ball and understands what the role of the forward is if he's going to do that but has really emerged as one of the best defenders in the country yeah and 
I've been watching Paddy since a young lad playing in CBS, Kenny CBS inside and Kilkenny as a full back, centre back, mostly a full back, even with all Auckland's and Auckland's minors. He was always you now he was never on probably brilliant teams, but he was always brilliant. He was inspirational and he's one of them kind of characters. Yeah, yeah. He comes out with a ball and he's like Brian Lowe coming out with a ball. The whole place gets a lift off it because he's wholeheartedly, he'll die with his boots on. And that's the kind of player he is. With the club last year he went up uh, full forward, centre forward, kind of a roving role. But everyone saw him as a guy to Lachlan would have had smaller forwards. So they probably wanted someone to go up and shake it around a bit so that the boys could maybe get their scores because you need that balance in a forward line. But he did that and so much more he scored 2-3 or 2-4 in the county final he scored 5-6 and six points goals right throughout consistently throughout the championship and throughout the league part of the championship so he has so much more to his game than just this guy that goes in and yeah. is, 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 is a tough nut he, he has it all really and um, he deserves it all because he's put so much time into it and um, no he, he's going to take on Hegarty listen I don't know what the matchups are this is what I would do um, and kind of looking at it in regards if the Kenny team that went out in the semi-final against Clare picks up the limit because who knows who's going to pick up who but if he's on Hegarty like Hegarty is the elegance of a small fella the goal he scored was it in the Munster final of the round robin against Clare where he took the ball off Tom Morrissey flicked it over the head and into the one back of the one of the greatest goals ever like one of the greatest goals ever on, on the big stage he scored two goals was it in last year's All-Ireland final just in picks a spot glides it into the corner points he's a brilliant man under the high ball his father was a great man for under the high ball he's probably even better and um, you know probably from the footballing background as well Yeah. so I think that's going to be but two tough nuts and that's what makes, makes it interesting they won't go back from each other. And now, for Kilkenny to, to beat Limerick, whoever's on Hegarty, if it's Paddy Deegan, he'll have to follow him. Uh, you know, he'll follow him into the dressing room. If uh, so you think that's in. like a proper man-marking job then? Oh, they, absolutely. I think that whole half-hard line, I think Limerick, if you give the half-hard line space... What if, drift, yeah. what, if they, what if they all disperse and then leave all the space for Galan? Where it's like, so if, if you're doing the man-marking thing, does that mean Kilkenny have to play a bit of a sweeper in front of Galan? I don't think so. I think... How they beat Limerick in 2019, and how you how you beat them is, you have to put unbelievable pressure on them coming out with the ball. Right. So you can't. So it's the forwards who are doing that defensive job for you. And if you go back and look at the replay of 2019, that's what they did. So when when Hannan and these guys gets the ball, they look up. They can't look up. They're being drove back and right. back. So when they do hit into Gland, it's a 50-50 ball. Right. Even a kind of a 60-40 ball, it do. So if I was to analyse about the, um, the the half forwards creating space, it's too late. If it's the other, it's the ball coming out. That's it's the ball coming out. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Adrian Mullen's been sensational. Like has is, yeah. is coming into the the senior hurler that we knew he would be. Um, you know, after the injury and, and has has made a significant comeback from that. So, um, him versus Willow Donahue is your next individual battle. Yeah. Um, like Mullen. I like all the Ballyhales and Kenny we admire Ballyhale because they do win so much they hurl so beautifully and with grace and humility and Mullen like his, his brother Darren and Paddy they've been a savage family growing up there's a good few of them Mullins is in it all youngsters and they're brilliant hurlers they make the ball talk and Adrian has been doing this with Kieran's with, 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 young, with underage Ballyhale teams since he was a young lad and to see him now achieve and probably reach his potential and probably, you know there's, there's far more in him as well is great when you're watching a guy since he was young 
Um, like his brother had a great sidestep there and they're, they're very natural hurlers I'd say if they played any sport Jared, they'd be brilliant at it and now you know he's on and off the team he does his cruciate does one or two cruciates but now he's back and like no one knew if he was going to be on the team or not this year suddenly he's top scorer from play Yeah, no past Tony Kelly and uh, I think it's an amazing amazing achievement for him coming back from what he did you know, two club All-Irelands. Like he turned up against Boris Lee, scored three points from playing that club All-Ireland when, you know, scores were hard to come by. And uh, sure, he's he's taken on Willow Dunne, who I call him the Terminator. Like, you know, <laughs> if you see anyone solo, and Kenny that solo with the ball, he's after him. And he's kind of like, you're kind of trying to get away from him. You're really looking back to see if he's there. Uh, so Willow Dunne is a huge part of that. I'd say John Kiley really appreciates. Uh, oh, Murphy and Nicky Quaid have been the two best goalkeepers in the country for the last decades and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what impact either slash both of them have on the game yeah and um, like Joel Canning spoke a few weeks ago about um, you never appreciate a free taker until he starts missing them then you say geez, I'd love to have a free taker that scores all his frees but it's the same with a goalie isn't it yeah totally you know you never appreciate a goalie doing the simple stuff you always appreciate the big saves but you never appreciate the simple stuff Nicky Quaid or Murphy do for all their brilliance it's the simple stuff to do unreal and like Nicky Quaid was they can this Limerick team can tank Nicky Quaid as they can tank a lot of their players but he possibly changed history with that flick on they were against Cork was it Harnady Harnady was true for a certain goal if that got a goal at that stage in dollar and semi-final 2018 it was game over but Nicky went out and flicked the ball brave as you like mm. and um, like you know they were betting 2019 versus Kenny. Would we even be talking about Limerick today only for Nicky Quaid? Well, it's so important. John Kiley in the papers is like, I wasn't sure if I was the man for the job and if we were going to lose another championship game, I was going to walk away. I don't know if he would have because like, if, you, if you'd lost by a few points to, yeah. to Cork. But we weren't champions at that stage, so no, there's still probably no titles in the bag. No, and it's... it's like, and you're wonderful to have that humility to say that, like, say, you know, this could have gone a different way. Instead of like, this was a preordained, I was always going to be a great manager. Yeah, I think that's the thing that makes him a great manager. Mm. Do you know, it's like what made Jim Gavin was the defeat to Tony Gall. Like, I have this great, lavishly gifted team, we can go on and just keep winning and winning and winning. But that wasn't the case. Mm. Like, somebody else outtaught him, and so he went mm. away and completely changed how that team played. And it's the same with Kylie, it seems. It's like, yeah. that, that, that's why he's playing down the rivalry with Kilkenny, but the fact that Kilkenny beat them in the first year and again. You know, I know it has to be a massive part. I think, Jerry. <laughs> you know, for all Limerick people as well, because like you look at their the history, like like history would always tell you the big three: Kenny Cork and uh, Tipperary. Yeah. Now that's going back to the you know when well, it's, the games it's, it's, began. But it's written in the books. It's written in the books. That's with the all our titles. Yeah. Yeah. And great players. Yeah. And so uh, you've knocked off Cork. Knocked off Tipperary. Just one more to go, and then like then then they're in the conversation for greatest team of all time. They're, like yeah. those conversations, they become more intense. They do, and like John Kiley, Cody has eleven titles. The next, I think, is Bertie Try, Kiley himself, um, Pat Henderson. There's three or four there on three titles. Right. If he goes, if he wins this one, he goes straight up to second. Mm. Like Limerick, they've never done the three in a row. There's no one outside of Kenny Cork and Tipperary have done the three in a row. Mm. Yeah. So that's a that's huge history weighing on this for Limerick. Like there's no one in Limerick has four all earned medals as far as I can see. The great McMackie team of the thirties, they have three. Yeah. None of them have four. That's a that's a peculiar kind of pressure that they haven't had up to this point where history it's history in the making as the you know. There's history in the making and, and also the opposition they're playing. So you have all that pressure, but you know coming down this the home straight if you're used to winning and used to beating teams 
you're not really thinking about losing. I think against Galway that was so apparent. It was just body language. They didn't look flustered. They didn't look flustered. But I would imagine, and I hope I'm not proven wrong on <laughs> Sunday, but if it does come down the home straight, they won't be as easy in their skin. Because I'm high. History. They were beaten in 2017, beaten in 2019, playing against this Kilkenny team that, you know, knows... Uh, People will say they know how to win. It's tradition that Kilkenny have been in all our finals. The same pressure won't be on them. Mm. So will they be as comfortable going down the home stretch? You'd hope they won't. Last two quick ones here. TJ Reid versus Declan Hannon. Um, TJ came back a little bit late this year. Obviously he was getting married. Was Didn't start a game. But um, then they got the hurling into him and he's back. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say the hurling into him. <laughs> it never leaves him. You know, he's just always hurling. And um, but a huge motivation for TJ is like he was captain twice before himself, 2010 and 19, I think. 60, it was 2019. His brother's captain, and there's no greater feeling. Probably there's probably a, a, a more you're probably more proud mm. if your brother or maybe your best friend becomes captain. Get him up the steps, um, you know. Like when I was part of it, like I was never lucky enough to be captain, or it didn't really bother me anyway. But to see your best friends going up the steps like Hoagie and Larks yeah. I remember uh, particularly when they were because I was close to them when they were captains it was a huge motivation I'd love to see him you know yeah. lifting it and drawing the photos and so for TJ to see Richie and you have to remember like Richie was on this panel for a long time but he stayed going he didn't say listen life can be better let's go to Australia let's do this I'll stick around here yeah. suddenly he sent her back on the team and he has been fantastic for Ballyhale as a centre back I'm not sure why we were playing him midfield for the last couple of years he's always been a brilliant centre back and he's now could be you know well, whether they win or not he has captain his team to an all earn so TJ I'd say it would be huge motivation for him to do that yeah. definitely Declan Hannon will do anything with TJ to mix it up um, in terms of I don't know some rabbit out of the bag like because his performance semi-final was nearly up there with his best ever Like it was and I suppose Johnny like you have to look at what will they do or what have they always done Limerick have never really man-marked as such. Mm. I'd imagine Will O'Donoghue will probably make a menace of himself around mm. there. But Hannon is a sitting centre-back. That's what he does. That's mm. what he does best. He's not going to go away from that to be, suddenly become a man-marker. Declan Hannon was never a man-marker. So let's you do what you do and I'll try and do what I do mm. better than what you do. I think that's the way they will do. And hopefully your midfielders will help you out. Just briefly on TJ, where does he stand in terms of free-takers? Of the all-time great free-takers? He just never seems to miss. Like. Yeah, well... If you look at TJ, like when he started, Henry was the free taker and he took over from DJ and Henry probably practised and grew himself into an 8, 9 out of 10, you know, free taker. TJ then was the same. TJ used to miss a good few when he was younger too, like he was probably a, a 7 out of 10 free taker. Suddenly he became a 9 out of 10. So the, the pressure, I think, you get used to it mm. and it suddenly becomes normal. You're used to doing this. So, no, he has been unbelievable the, up there. The last individual battle is Hugh Lawler versus Aaron Galan. Galan's had um, uh, one of those years where he's had an impact in every game. Like, yeah. And, you know, he's one of the best hurlers in the game at the moment. He is. And maybe we underrate that sometimes. Like, And he's got everything. He's, he's spiky. <laughs> he's, he's clever. He's, like, hard. He's a hardy book as well. So, uh, Hugh Lawler has his work cut out. He does. And, like, um, remember DJ used to say, um, there's only one bad ball coming into the full forward line. What's that, DJ? No ball. <laughs> and Galan reminds me of that. He doesn't need a nice ball. Mm. Give it into him high, give it into him low, <laughs> and he can win it. As you said, Spike, he's bowl like. And you need to be like that in the full forward line because the lads are going to be uptight on you. Galan has done it in the big day- days. Last year's Munster final, when Tipperary had him, 
he came on, or he was, yeah, I think he only came on in that game, but he was brilliant. Yeah. And um, he showed his pedigree, he showed his importance to this limited team because that dropped him. And, and to come back from that as well is something, you know, to respond the way he did also shows like great character for whatever reason, not in the team in the first place, but, you know, like that that's a moment afterwards in years to come. Himself and Kylie will have a laugh about it. But in, in the moment, I'm sure there's like a bit of heat there. So, um, right, at the very end, we're going to do clutch moments inspired by Sean O'Shea's free. So that was, that was, Big balls from Sean O'Shea at the weekend. Yeah, that was massive. And, um, like, you know, hurling games usually get all the credit, but, like, what a game. You know, that Dublin and Kerry game it had everything. Everything you want to see in a game, it had it. And, like, I just so much respect for him for the fact he missed the penalty. And they weren't the favourites. It'd be different if it was the other way around. Dublin, they have all the all medals in their back pockets. This Kerry team doesn't and people think they should have a few yeah. because they've won so many minors and they've so much brilliance in their team individually and as a collective so for him to step up after missing a penalty and the goalie came out and tried to take it I think Clifford came over and tried to take it and he said hold on a minute now you know and to be different if it was a guy that was after nailing the penalty in yeah. the first half this is a guy that knew that if he missed this probably the, the knives would be out again and by God it was some and the way he curled it over and like even the shaking post couldn't stop <laughs> <laughs> so ah Shawnee Shea so yeah so that was probably you know one of the biggest clutch uh, scores so this week's shout out is clutch scores what, what have you got for us so uh, my top six right right yeah yeah so number six Henry's goal against uh, Tipperary 2009 All-Ireland final the penalty the penalty yeah the penalty so although it wasn't the last one if he'd have missed that we were gone because we weren't hurling well at the time Tiberi were doing all the hurling but he came up with that big moment and he, I don't think he'd been going I think he spoke about that he hadn't been hurling particularly well he felt that day so to do that while feeling it this is when there was three men on the goal yeah. I just thought it was just a huge sense of relief we went on and scored another goal after that number five then Joe Canning so now not the score he got against Tipperary it was the free he got in 2012 All-Ireland final he had to score that out on the wing to draw the game so I thought that was huge. Yeah, Again, the pressure on that and that's. I, 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 I think the pressure on him compared to the pressure on O'Shea is incomparable at all. That was an unbelievably tough to 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 win, not to get to the extra time to win the game. That was an, that was a tough free for Joe as well, like a really really tough free bad angle like you know a lot of pressure and Brian Cody was just behind him I think like parading the sideline right behind him and Joe like didn't flinch because <laughs> it wasn't even a free in the first place with no. <laughs> Davy Glenn yeah, yeah Davy made the most of it like I know fair and that's what you have to do and, uh, but you're right it was actually at the wrong side yeah. for a right handed free taker because it had spin out like that yeah. if he's on the other side it had spin back in so that was an amazing free and uh, number five then uh, sorry that's number five number four then Tony Kelly mm. his uh, sideline this year like, you know, but he, he took that as if he was literally just opening the door yeah, just like that whatever unbelievable and totally honest, unconscious. he had no right to go off yeah. it, really <clears throat> that was a pass try and short make a free out mm. yeah. but no he said listen and as well we have to remember take this into context as well Claire wanted that Munster so this wasn't uh, sure it's a month you know we'll be grand they're all out in final this was their all out in final yeah. so yeah. this was clutch for that team and for him uh, number three then they're all clear lads actually <laughs> James Yo O'Connor oh yeah he scored 97 ball came out to him on the wing under the Hogan stand over the bar like it was just you know again unconscious like I've I've done this all year no, no difference that it's the winning of the All-Ireland and I'm the best hurler in the country and <laughs> the, the team is totally reliant on me it was a sensational sensational point yeah. and he, he told a story during the summer that a train session before that coming up to the All-Ireland final 
he, he took an, a similar effort, I think, or somewhere out around the half hour line, but it was a little bit blasé about it. And Brian Lone came up and absolutely ate him. Right. So, like, he was there, you know. Now, yeah. whether he, I, I wouldn't say uh, J- James would ever do that in blasé, but. But still, it probably refocused him even more. Yeah, yeah. And he scored that. Uh, number two then had to be Joe Cannings. So remember the the, the score he got against um, Tipperary, Tip. All Ireland semi final. And people think All Ireland finals is where you win All Ireland finals. You could win them in the first round. That was one that day. How many semi finals were they beating in? Yeah, and one of the best that. sporting photos ever. As you see him smile, and it, it, it was absolutely. And everyone was delighted for Joe because at that stage he had no All Ireland medal, mm. and he was. I know he won a lot of club All Irelands and, and and big days, but everyone wanted to see him. Travesty, Ollie didn't win it, so if he didn't as well, do you know? Yeah, but in fairness, to Ollie, he is a club All Irelands. A lot of people w- mm. would love to have so and four All Stars and four All Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the number one, I think, had to be from Clare. Holy Moses, <laughs> Marty Morrissey. It was Donal Donovan's equaliser against um, Cork. You know, time up, game on the line, corner back. I don't know, did Donal, did he ever score before that or ever after it? But what a moment for the county. What a moment for a player. What a moment for all cornerbacks. And uh, so my clutch, number one clutch moment in Hurland that I can remember is Don Law Donovan's point. I hope we get a similar moment this weekend. Uh, certainly the feverish, uh, the stadium shaking. I hope we get a couple <sighs> of those moments this weekend. And it feels like we will. So you're predicting, finally, uh, Kilkenny win to squeak it out? My prediction is coming Sunday. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Tune That's in. why he's paid the big bucks. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, we'll all be tuning in. Uh, Tommy, great to have you with us. Uh, it is genuinely exciting. The, the knot in my stomach has started to appear after the conversation this morning. As you know, it's All Ireland Hurling Final Week. We've got four priceless tickets to give away on the show this week. It's all thanks to Borgosh Energy. 2022 marks the sixth year of Borgosh Energy sponsorship of the GA Hurling All Ireland Senior Championship. And to celebrate every day this week, we're giving away 150 euro, one for all voucher, and more importantly, each winner will go into Friday's draw for an incredible grand prize with 1,500 euro one for all voucher and four tickets to Sunday's All-Ireland Final between Limerick and Kilkenny to enter. Tune into tonight's show. It's all with thanks to Borgosh Energy. You can search hashtag gift of the gab for more. Up next, Virtual Insanity Open Special with John Duggan. First, here's Keith Earls in the honour of captaining Ireland for the first time in the win against the Mary All Blacks. Well, we certainly feel that um, you know this is, is this is certainly not a tier, tier two, tier three type of, type of game for us. You know, we... we with the side that obviously that we were putting out a, a, a newish side that's learning together and um, trying to trying to grow the squad, um, we've said all along that this is like five test matches for us. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And you know the the lads don't get a, a test cap for playing against the Murray All Blacks, but it's certainly a test match as far as the way that we was building it. Yes, it was generally of. One of my proudest moments. Um, uh, you know, all the people back home, the place where I'm from, you know, Limerick, rug, rugby crazy, and it was, it was a huge honour. It was a huge honour, but it was a huge honour to, to captain such, you know, I suppose a young side, an inexperienced side, and, you know, they're getting their first win in an Irish jersey down in New Zealand, and, you know, we've done it together, and being, being able to captain that side was uh, very special. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! John Duggan. Jared, Johnny, how we doing? It's Christmas Eve for golf fans. Ah, this is great. This is as good as the Masters. The 150th Open at St. Andrews. 
um, 6.35 in the morning. I love the way they have the, they don't stagger the tea times. They, they're, they're, they're teeing off at half six and they're teeing off at four o'clock and it's going to be benign weather. It's going to be a beautiful four days. Um, seven Irish players in the field. Clara Jug, all the history, Sevy Ballesteros, Woods, Nicholas. It's going to be brilliant. What's going to happen? Rory's going to win it, folks. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. 10 to 1. This is it. 150th Open. All the history, all the legacy. Great champions win the Open. And I do think that Rory, the way he's playing, can finally, after eight years, uh, end the drought. Uh, Got to be each way. No. What? No. It's, he's going like, to, it's now or never. Yet stood or knee. Um, <laughs> 10 to 1. Like, his approach play is much better. He's, his putting with Brad Faxon has been so much improved. He's the leader in strokes gained on the PGA Tour. Uh, all the top tens he's had, all top tens in every single major, second of the Masters, eighth of the PGA, tied fifth of the US Open, one in Canada. Um, I just think it's time. It, the storyline writes itself that Rory wins this week, I think, and he's the clear favourite. Shot, shot 63 at St Andrews back in 2010. Shot 80. Did. Um, and uh, The fact that there's no wind, though, this week, I think, is a big help for him. If it was a really windy week, I wouldn't be tipping him. But I think the fact that at Hoylake, when it was in 2014, it wasn't windy as well. And that, I think, plays into his hands because he's such a long, straight driver of the golf ball. And St. Andrews is a course that you can really attack if, you're, if your driving is, is good and long. And the putting being improved, um, I do think that this is it for Rory, you know. OK, OK, that's interesting. So... Uh, it, it, this is non-patriotic this is purely your money no talk. no this is not patriotic I didn't tip him to the US Open um, uh, I'm in, in serious mode here I've been having a barren streak I, I had a really good so weekend Rory. I had a really good weekend I, I back Kerry I back Galway I back the Wimbledon winner I'm, I'm feeling I'm, I'm in dead serious mood here now folks I'm, I'm, I'm going to smash this Open Championship in smithereens Okay, interesting. <laughs> right. This is, I mean, this is confidence, Shady. Yeah, no, so, so I'm, I'm, you know, virtually now I'm betting like a man, but obviously folks out there, it should be a euro each way, you know, do, you know, I've, I've got this weird strategy in my head, so this is just, um, this is just fun for me, but so don't, if you're reading the article, don't be, um, don't be staking to the stakes I'm staking. How, how many majors, do you know, has he not won since he won his last one? Uh, too many. We're into Hopefully. the tw- into the twenties, okay. twenty five or so. That's so, like, okay. like, like, we're talking about this is a, a losing proposition generally. And I, I was the Pied Piper in this. I was, I was like, you know, falling it into the sea with Rory McIlroy. But if you think about it, each way this year you would have made a profit each way if you're backing mm. him in the Masters, uh, PGA, or US Open. You would have made a profit, and I think we did that at the Masters. But this is the time now. This, this, it just just seems right that this could be the week. Okay, that that I mean, it'll be a great week. What a what a brilliant Sunday afternoon sport it'll be if there's the Ireland hurling final and Rory winning the Open at the same time. None of us will see obviously the Open because we'd be all a croaker or watching the hurling, won't we? Um, Patrick Cantlay is number two. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. Okay, should I just not say anything and move on to the next person? <laughs> That's the best thing for me to do here. Why Patrick Cantlay? Because uh, the amount of abuse I get on Twitter about uh, tipping Patrick Cantlay okay. time and time again. So twenty five to one, Patrick Cantlay. Um, I put my money where my mouth is myself. I don't know if you want to ask any questions about it or will I move on? You are, you are dogged. Like, if you're tipping Cantley and McElroy, just do, like... Do you want to move on or do you want to ask any questions about it? Go, go keep going. <laughs> okay, so Patrick Cantley, I'm not saying anything about Patrick Cantley. I'm never going to say anything about Patrick Cantley ever again. Cantley, a bet on him more like... Hey. 
Uh, Shane Lowry is uh, 22 to 1 for Tenny Train. Now, we can talk about Shane, the fact that he's probably playing the, the best golf of his life. Like, he really contended at the Masters. Like, even that Irish Open just made the cut, then stormed to a finish in the top 10. I love the way he didn't play the Scottish Open, like, tuned up at Port Marnock. His approach play is fantastic. Uh, we know he loves the wind, even if it's not going to blow that much this week. Um, he's got a really good record at the Dunhill Links with, with three top 10s there. Played well there, I think. Did he finish second or third? To yeah, ahead? played well there, yeah. So, like, uh, and he's won the Open by six shots. So he did that three years ago. So you have to think that an each-way proposition for Shane Larry to finish in the top nine, 22 to 1 with William Hill, um, is, is a good bet. Uh, How Tong Lee... Um, wouldn't it be amazing the 150th Open if a Chinese winner uh, of, of, of this global event Hao Tong Lee uh, nearly gave up golf last year he really struggled during the pandemic and then two uh, tournaments ago he won the BMW International Open in Munich and you might remember him F-bombing uh, in his interview yeah. it was really kind of funny um, F-bombing golf man I, I just loved it <laughs> it was just the best thing ever um, this is an eclectic mix you got uh, well Hao Tong Lee the thing about Hao Tong Lee is he's got a really really good record as an Andrews he's got four rounds in the 60s including the 64 there he was third at the Open in 2017 at Birkdale with 63 um, and we know he's playing well he's 140 to 1 for 5 each way that's right, uh, uh, kind of stuff we like it is you know so I think he's got the chutzpah Hao Tong Lee and the, the last one is an utter gutter um, this is Danny Willis who on, on form has got absolutely no chance right but he's a guy who comes out of nowhere and wins big tournaments. He won, obviously, the Masters 2016. He won the BMW at Wentworth 2019. He's won the DP World Tour, Tour Championship. Last October, came out of nowhere, won a St. Andrews, the Dunhill Links. He's 150 to 1 for 5 each way. He was tied 12th at the Masters. Danny Willis likes playing at St. Andrews. So, not a form pick, but a gut pick. So, Danny Willis, How Tongley are the outsiders. Uh, Shane, obviously, I think is playing really well. Patrick Cantlay, not going to say anything about it. And then Rory to win. Who's favourite, JD? Rory's a clear favourite. His favourite? By about eight points. So Rory's about 10 to 11 to well, one shot. We're tipping him at 10 to 1. Xander Schaffler, who's really playing well at the moment, is the next uh, prize, prize player. John Ram, a bit out of form. Justin Thomas obviously has won a major this year. Matt Fitzpatrick won the US Open. Um, Seamus Park, like, I wouldn't put anybody off him. Um, Podrick, some people are trying to pick him or whatever. But there's so many chances. 156 players, a lot of players with chances. And... Um, all right, bring it on, lads. Bring Enjoy, it on. Enjoy, John. Thanks and, very much, and best of luck with it. A reminder: OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we got on OTB Sports Radio for you today at uh, one o'clock. OTB Gold is Joe Malloy meeting Gerlock Nan. Rugby duos at three: Ron Nogara and Stringer. Uh, retro panel is leaders and captains in the dressing room. OTB Gold is uh, Cribs, Porrick Harrington style, and the show is live tonight with Joe from seven. Uh, after the break, we're live with rugby analyst Derek McNamara to break down what went so right for Ireland last weekend. OTB AM. Right, Derek McNamara is back with us. Uh, you were 100% correct last time, Derek. You were like, oh, calm down, yeah. stop being so grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were in a bit of a slump, Jerry. Well, you know, get you out of that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah I, was, I was using the... Um, he was using the eye test, which is wrong. We should, we should rely on data and analytics and facts and figures. Yeah, well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it was a good game, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it, it, it's. I suppose there's there's many different ways of looking at it, but um, yeah, what did you think? What, what was your initial feeling when you when you saw it? Um, I think that we controlled the game, like in a way that a couple of things ringing in my head was uh, we're not going to be held up over the line as many times as mm. we are again and the the tries will come for us but our defence was significantly better it seemed more aggressive um, 
and it seemed like they had no real clue what to do in the face of our defence yeah. which gives you good confidence a um, little bit concerned at half time that we hadn't got further ahead but their indiscipline was so spectacularly bad <clears throat> yeah. that you'd be worried and then the other worry was that Jakob Piper as referee was so sclerotic and just like off yeah. that he could easily have made a mistake day. in the second half that would have cost Ireland you know yeah, yeah. I suppose I, uh, from from breaking it down, though, it was it's a very interesting kind of test case because a lot not all games pan out like this, obviously with the amount of cards, but also um, when I, when I kind of look back and I noticed that Sam Whitelock was out, um, so I got a bit of a, a stat here just around showing his kind of involvement in the game. So it was the first thing when I kind of before the game I looked into the the analysis of the previous game and I saw that Sam Whitelock was the biggest work rate so this is this is a graph showing the work rate of all the players from 1 to 23 and their impacts in the game okay and it's a it's a very simple graph it's a very you know one pass equals one point basically so we can see where the players are and what's the percentage figure just for people who are listening so you've got overall whatever 1500 activities in the game this is just a percentage of what each player is doing of those fifteen hundred activities. Okay, so it looks like Aaron Smith is the most important player, or certainly the most active player. But he—he's he, the passer. He's the link between two, the, the forwards and backs. So he's obviously going to have more activity. And this is this is why this graph is is not perfect. So this is this is just a, a, a run of the mill work rate graph. We right. can adjust that for for like you say to bring bring the graph down and make it much more level. But. For us to just to show what impact the players had on the pitch, we can stick it back up there. Just yeah, so yeah. So, so, so the idea here is is to look at. There's two people we want to do to kind of take a look at. There's Sam Whitelock and there's Ari, Arya Sevilla. So both of them had around just around seven seven point one percent work rate. Joint second. Um, yeah, first and second. So two two guys that that are Bowden Barrett also at seven point one, which again you'd expect uh, somebody who's getting a, a lot of ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The two most important players in the New Zealand pack are at 7.1. Yeah, yeah. So and then if we flick on to the next next slide, we can see that, you know, Sam obviously isn't there and Sam is like a, a back row, right? So Sam is he he's like a defensive back row. There's there's different types of players and Sam would be considered a a, a dynamic back row or dynamic dynamic sick row. So he does a lot of things. He does passing, carrying and um uh tackling, a lot a lot of tackling. But then, because you've got Ari Sevilla, who got um, he got um, substituted off by mistake by his coaching's mistake, you're taking away your two most dynamic players, and as a result, you know the New Zealand team lost their shape really badly. Like you know, so I think the the first uh, card was at 16 minutes, the second card at 24, and the third card card at 31. But as soon as the first card lost, you could see the New Zealand team started losing their shape. So, um, and that what that means is you basically have one or two or two more people that are in a position where they can clearly see that they're not not sure what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So you got players running into each other. You got you know people that are um, out of shape, out of place, or passes going to ground. <clears throat> and for me, that was the biggest thing that they just didn't have their 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 the game plan that they whatever. Well. I, I would actually, and this is one of the reasons why I'm quite positive about this weekend's Ireland's chances, is that the errors and issues and the problems that are there are, from my perspective, from an analytical perspective, are pretty deep. Okay, so they're not, because I was going to say, if you you were talking to a New Zealand crowd this week, Mm. you'd be like... Uh, don't be so pessimistic. All we got to do is <laughs> fix Sam Whitelock coming back. Yeah. And Artie Savay is going to play the full game. And boom, all of a sudden there's a transformative impact there. But 
the problem with that is is that the, the trajectory of what New Zealand's performances performance analytics has been over the last number of years is has not been like this. It's not been bad. Yeah, but it hasn't been going up. You know what I mean? Plateaued, so, like or pardon? Plateaued or just or no, getting slightly worse. Like they're. Um, <laughs> So I, I know a couple of the guys in New Zealand rugby, so I, I I've I've com- have communication with them, and you know one area that they need they've they started looking at once I started help, or being involved with them was around the breakdown, but they've forgotten all about that again, and you can see it in their body. You know if you see, if you look at a lot of the players, especially the the, the, the uh, uh, front five. A lot of their body positions are sideways coming into the ruck. Well, it's mad because mm. they obviously yeah. they never get penalised for it, or no, very randomly. And then last week they said yeah. like, we are going to penalise this, and but it's transformative. That that's just a d- certain type of. So what you're talking about is there is a blowout ruck. So that's where the guys come in and they tr- there's another person trying to steal the ball, and you you know the mm. guy has to come along and blow the other player out to try and make sure that the ball is retained. But what I'm talking about is guys coming in standing and standing sideways looking at the ball which means that they're very open to be pushed back on their own ball, disrupting their, their scrum half, which you can see the Irish players were doing. You'll see that you know every once in a while you'll see a player falling back nearly onto the scrum half, and that's because their body positions. And that's that tells me that it's not just... It's not just uh, it's a one-off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not being coached. No, it's, it's a prolonged period of... How could that be at that level of rugby? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, well, because they're so spectacularly talented mm. that they can get away with it, or that the, the referees sort of... So technique isn't really coached in rugby mm. a lot a lot of the time, especially at the breakdown, and that's that's changing now. Like that's something that since I've been involved in the game, I've I've, I've tried helping all teams that I'm involved. So you see, when you go to training uh, training sessions, you'll see players come along and they'll, they'll do exactly that. And the idea is to get coaches to understand that no, it, what really, really matters is is making sure that your body positions are right. And then you take things from different sports, right? So different sports do different things. In in uh, and you look at the way in which I brought up American football a couple of times just because I worked with with American football company, but they, if you look back at the way in which they they they're trying to combat the head injury mm. problems, mm. they're coaching players to keep their head up so their their spine is straight and they're able to see what's coming in front of them, and that's what you'll see that like um, Josh van der Fleer is like that really good rucker you see, and um, the South African uh, captain. It's like Yeah, it's mm. like easy. And he, which you'll see, he'll get down and he'll get his body up and he'll be looking at where the threat is coming from. And as a result, that, that small little change in knowing what's going to come allows players to, to uh, work on their technique and technique becomes much more important. And it's the same with that for all skill sets, right? Mm. So that's one thing that our analysis platform helps teams do is work on technique rather than than just numbers, you know? And the idea is then with working on technique and improving skill sets over periods of time, skill sets skill sets get better, which means player size gets smaller, which means that the impacts get less, and it's and it's that's that's the kind of mm. that's what I'm trying to do in the game is trying to you know evolve the game through skill rather than because you know if, if more skillful, faster, smaller player is always going to be because rugby is a game of uh, what do you call it. Um, where you, you, know, you can't touch the other person you're trying to avoid the other people so if you've if you got faster smaller more skillful players you're, you're going to win evasion evasion that's the word yeah. manager um, <laughs> as long as it isn't preceded by tax uh, we're fine <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, what, what else have you been looking at that's given you confidence apart from the fact that that technique is an opportunity for Ireland to attack next week um, well <laughs> There, there are 
some trends in, in the Irish team that are not so, you know, it's New Zealand, if you actually look at the second half and the quality of the, the team in the second half, New Zealand actually performed slightly better than, than Ireland in the second, like, you know, through, throughout the game. But that's because New Zealand held on to the ball more. Um, but if, if Ireland can maintain their scrum, which is, and maintain their heads, I've heard a lot in media about New Zealand coming out and being more aggressive and being more. I, I would say it's the complete opposite, actually. I'd say if New Zealand were to be, if they were to get any advice on this, I'd say they need to take back the aggression side of things. They actually need to let their players become more aware of what's going on rather than running into rooks with their heads or trying to bash, smash people. Get get leaders back in that team, bring it back to basics, and, and ensure that they're. They're, they're not making those not getting those cards because that, that's the whole reason New Zealand's game plan fell apart but Is it a sign of insecurity? Like why, why do they need to resort to this? Well it's a macho thing right? It's rugby it's, 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 but it's you, you still have to play within the rules though like so if, if, You don't well, well, you obviously do because they get a oh. player sent off and they basically but they, could, they could have three or four players sent off in every game mm. and, um, they tend to be refereed quite leniently, like especially and, in New Zealand. And you try and get away with as much as you can. Mm. It's like push the boundaries. Well, it's like the Dublin goalkeeper lying down for four minutes during the Simbin. Like you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. You don't have to play within the rules. It turns out you've got to push the rules as far as you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. or bring someone into the ref at half time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's, okay, rugby is a physical sport. It's the nature of the entire sport yeah. is to be more physical than your opposition. Um, but in in rugby, that the difference between being physical and Breaking being aggressive and, and being... Uh, because, you know, you've got 110 years of history that has just been broken in New Zealand by Ireland by winning there. So mm-hmm. that history of, oh, our, our culture and our, our background and our history and, like you know, even the culture of New Zealand, they're, they're, they're warriors. Like, they're, they're, that's their whole thing has been, <laughs> been that way since... And the Maori, like... Yeah, but even, even in wars and stuff like the New Zealanders were the the guys that they used to get to go in first because they were crazy <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean so yeah. it's it's um, that that type of culture and that, that that belief in them is gives them that strength and that ability to go win World Cups and be the best team you know and that, that's they expect that they expect to be the best but what's what's happening in New Zealand rugby is is something that is, is there's something wrong there and it's it's, but it's, you could probably say the same for for Munster, you know, Munster are in a similar type of problem where they they keep trying to change things up and, and improve, and they can only go so far on their history, you know. They need to fix their squad or their development and their nurturing of st- of, of people, staff, and players, and that doesn't appear to be something that they're thinking well they are obviously they're thinking about it but have they implemented something well there's been no signs of that progress over the under the previous regime and so you know maybe Roundtree can can change that and, and be that person to, to lead that culture shift but hopefully yeah hopefully yeah. Yeah, it's, it is a big job of work and um, the other um, uh, two graphs yeah. you have for us today yeah sorry um, so the other, the other thing that I was just uh, bringing up is just the, the similarities between um, Leinster and Ireland so you probably say obviously they're 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 nearly the same team but in this graph we can see that you know in the three main things that, that uh, teams do in the game which is carrying rucking and tackling are nearly identical apart from uh, tackling because Ireland actually do a lot more passing um, so if, if you go back to the other graph 
Sorry. Um, so the first one there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, what we're seeing here is is that Ireland actually uh, passed a lot Ar- more. Ireland are in green and yeah. uh, Leinster are in blue, as you might expect. <laughs> yeah. And so the carrying stats are thirty percent each. The rucking is twenty percent each. Tackling is nineteen percent Leinster, fourteen percent Ireland. So there's a bit of a change there. And Ireland actually passed more than Leinster. Yeah, Ireland, Ireland are, are, are a passing team. Yeah, they, they've definitely passed a lot more. But when we go to the actual qualities, this is just should give you a representation of what both teams do, which is they're very, very, very similar. Very, like really, really, really similar. But then if you go to the actual next graph, which is the quality of both, you can actually see that um, Ireland as a, as a team are better at carrying, but then they're nearly identical at passing, tackling and rucking and kicking. So the, the quality of both teams is nearly identical. The <laughs> and the actual way in which they play is very, very similar, except for they, they pass a little more. If I was to put in a different team in here, the graph would be totally skewed. So just from an analytical perspective, they they play in the same game plan. They're they're implementing the same type of approach. They're doing a little bit more passing, but the quality of the teams is, is remaining very, very similar. So the Leinster platform is really good for Ireland, and Ireland uh, and Leinster obviously benefit then from having their best players go and experience world-class rugby and, and come back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a difference. Like like Sabundiaki would be a, a, a second receiver instead of Sexton, which I've seen in the Six Nations and things like that. So I'd say you might see a bit of that come uh, Saturday. Okay, um, what do you think of Kieran Frawley at that half? What's the, what's happening with you? I mean, I, this, I'm just throwing this to you here without having, I, you know. I, just, <laughs> I, I, I brought this up this morning. It's like, who's who is this guy? I mean, how many more old halves do we have that aren't Sexton? I don't know, Jer. I don't know. I don't have the data. I don't. I. Don't, I, I wouldn't speculate. Okay, I, I, I haven't had a chance to actually look at the Mary game yesterday. Right. Well, uh, actually, so you have the data. How important is Sexton? Like, what happens after Sexton? How do Ireland finally start without Sexton? Um, pray. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's. I, we've He's only thirty-seven. Yeah. No, we've talked about this before. But he, the the blueprint for a scrum or for a ten is. You know, it's set there. You know, you need to be able to carry the ball, you need to be able to pass the ball, but he, he needs to be able to kick the ball and he needs to be able to kick the ball over the over the bar. But the way in which he does it, and there's something that we, we have analysed from this week, but I don't have the, the data set. I wasn't able to calculate it for today. I, was, I might be able to do it for next week. But is his ability to get to the line and how... So applying pressure versus being under pressure mm. so applying pressure is you bringing the ball to the, the the opposition and forcing your opposition to not know where the ball is going to go compared to applying or being under pressure which is them forcing you to make a mistake New Zealand last week didn't apply any pressure whatsoever they they so Leinster were able to apply you know force their own pressure on New Zealand Ireland, by yeah. bringing the ball to the line and players going as a different angles. there. Did you notice? Yeah, you said Leinster were able to apply that. <laughs> yeah. Interchangeable. I, I, I nearly yeah. let it away. Yeah, but it is, it is Leinster's game plan to a certain extent, mm. implemented with slightly better players, you know, and, and Irish fully Irish players. There obviously. seems to be more offloading for Ireland. Um, when you said they're more passing, is that is, it, is that? I, I seem to keep all alive a bit more often. I don't want to spend five yeah, minutes yeah, looking yeah, at yeah, that. No, but, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, would, it would make sense. But again, right. well, the, the, you got to think in, take into consideration the, the, the weather conditions. Yeah. Right? So uh, that true. was indoors last week. Yeah, totally different from the first one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but basically the difference, we talked about this the previous week, is without Sexton, we got destroyed. When Sexton was there, we were doing really well. Before he got injured. I mean, it's, cause it's not really that much. He's a leader, though, as well. So yeah, well, I think psychologically yeah. is a big thing. Yeah, but yeah. he's like, you know, in the conversation for our greatest ever player. Yeah. Like, 
Right. Very good stuff. Thanks yeah. very much. Enjoy Thank the game this weekend. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, Derek McNamara, Sports Asset Management there. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Up next, we're continuing the build-up to the final test alongside former Ireland captain Fiona Coughlin. First, here's the lads on the show last night talking about the impact Kieran Frawley has made. Back after this. Like, it's, it's, it's one of the most difficult challenges. That's right. Just to step below Test oh. Match Ruggies to play against Mario All Blacks. Yeah. At 10, a position where he's not theoretically not familiar with based off his position, his, his time at, at Leinster, even though he has played a couple of games at 10 at Leinster. Um, and he's proven that he can do it. Uh, even in that first test when the when Ireland were, in all honesty, a shambles against um, the Mario All Blacks, Frawley had moments where he... Took to gain line. He he had the he showed promise at, at ten. Now what I'm saying is, if you look at hypothetically Andre Pollard, he plays almost no game time at ten at club level in France, but he's South Africa's first choice number ten. You, it's the ability to play ten, but also the ability to play twelve that makes Frawley a unique. Um, prospect for Ireland in the, going, going forward. He can be that player that has the ability to play 10, but doesn't always play all of his games at 10. He can play 10 for, the, for Ireland without necessarily having played any, any game at 10 in the, in, for, for Leinster. Why has that fear been there from an Irish perspective, do you think, f- about adaptability and having to specialise? Can I just say, though, and, and I'll let you answer, you know, you take someone like Pollard is a far more accomplished and experienced and like we know what he offers you know whereas I think there's still question marks about Frawley at the top level and we're talking about we're talking about replacing Johnny Sexton at World Cup here and bypassing three or maybe four out halves that we thought were ahead of them who've played there and we know what they offer at that position I'm not saying you're wrong here I'm just saying that I would like to see it and I'm sure Andy Farrell would too Mm. whether you say it's relevant or not I think he would like to see him play some Champions Cup games at that position of course I mean I I don't think Frawley's had too much Champions Cup level matches at all yeah exactly yeah yeah but he's got Henshaw and Ring Roses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the centre partnership. And not, then, not exactly easy to break into either. And, and Ross Byrne has made almost no mistakes for Leinster. Like, he's done nothing wrong, really. So you can't, can't automatically drop him. But the, um, the, where I'm coming from, though, is it's not necessarily like he needs to play. Like, he doesn't need to make up for Sexton immediately. Like, he doesn't have to be the, the starting Irish number 10 as soon as Sexton retires. Joey Carberry can easily fill in that role. He's done very little wrong in, in, in an Irish jersey to warrant automatic dropping. But w- what Frawley offers is that Sexton style, and Carberry doesn't. Like, Car- Carberry doesn't attack the game line. He's not as robust. He's not as defensively sound as Johnny Sexton is. Whereas Kieran Frawley, because he's got that ability to play 12 and even 13 or even fullback at a push, he's got the ability to, to play all positions in the back line. But th- th- that also gives him the skills and the sort of strength that, that those, those, those other positions give him. Like that defense, like that being able to front up to uh, Joshuani and actually take take his game to him, take a big hit from a Papali'i. Or whoever, and get back up. Carberry's shown that he doesn't necessarily have that ability to take that big hit, so he plays a little bit deeper. He doesn't take the hits. He's got a different style to to Johnny Sexton, and there's nothing wrong with Ireland playing a style that suits Joey Carberry. Joey, if Joey, Joey Carberry's the way you want to go, 
by all means, but he doesn't have he d- doesn't play like Saxon, so don't force him to play like Saxon. For all he has the ability to play like Saxon. Who has the ability to play like Sexton? That is the question. Fiona Coughlin, how are you? Hi, morning, Hessies. Where are we at with our out-half situation now? Um, it just gets... Clearly, we need Sexton to turn 37 this week. The ground, the waters after us just seem more muddy than ever. Yeah, it is. Um, I think it's obviously unfortunate for Harry Byrne to go there and not get any game time from home with injury. Um, Frawley's certainly taken his opportunity, particularly this week. Uh, you know, the first game it was a little bit murky, but that was only his second start at 10. Um, so then this was his third start. So he certainly improved immensely in that 12-day turnaround. Like, And that just, I suppose, will give the coaches kind of confidence in that they have a player that can improve and, and where can he go to. But I think it is key to him getting game time this season and where... How's it going to look like at Leinster? Because obviously he would be fourth choice 10 at Leinster uh, with Ross and Harry Byrne and Sexton obviously ahead of him. So it's about getting him that game time. And I, I was listening there and about the versatility. I think having versatility is great. And, and in lots of areas around the pitch, the back three, the centres and stuff. But I think at 10, um, I think you need to nail down that position. I, I think Frawley spoke, he doesn't want to be jack ball master of none. And I think it's really important if, that they're going to focus on him as 10 at international level that he has to play 10. Is he a real um, candidate now? Because uh, I, I find that I find this out half things fascinating. You know, you look at the heir to the throne in various roles of life, and it's quite obvious. It, it couldn't be less obvious in the Ireland situation. And our reliance on Sexton is so pr- pronounced. That's fine, but like, how does the coaching staff? Uh, is it organic where it decides right this is our guy to go for? Because you're literally talking about four or five individuals here who could get that job. Listen, I think they've put time into some players that haven't fronted up and delivered. We've seen um, the likes of Carthy, Billy Burns, you know, Harry Burns been in there. And um, obviously Carberry has come back to the form that we kind of expect him to come back to. And whether his best position is actually 15, I think it possibly is. And that now Frawley is stepping into this, but it's a matter of giving him that game time. I suppose a lot of them probably through injury haven't had a lot of consistency in game time at, at the highest level. And look, we, we have to give him. There's no one going to match Johnny or get near him in the next year. Uh, but we need to get game time into some of them uh, so that they're ready to go, hopefully not injury to Johnny, but he doesn't have to play five games on the bench in the World Cup if you're looking to get to a World Cup final. What have you made the tour so far? So, like, uh, I suppose what are we talking about? A week ago, this could be a naught from five, the way Ireland were going. Um, obviously, a lot of disappointment after uh, the first test. And <laughs> in three or four days, a long time in rugby. Oh, look, I, it's a hugely successful tour now. Like, you know, going into this, I didn't know what we were going to come out with. I was thinking one win would be would be a successful ter- tour. But I think the improvement in both teams, the test team and the midweek team, in a short space of time was unbelievable. And just the work that the coaches had to put in to get two teams ready for high-level ball is really impressive. And and then some, some of those players really putting their best foot forward and, and putting, like, you know, they, they could be in contention for test spot places, but I think... Danny Farrell will stick the team that he had as much as possible. Obviously, there's injury to Gary Rainrose, so that'll be someone slotting in, whether Finley Beelan will be able to make the bench or not. Someone might slot in there. But, you know, the likes of Coombs, Timoney, Treadwell, and uh, Frawley, you know, definitely put their note there and will be in the conversation. But I just don't think it's going to happen this week. But, yeah, hugely successful tour now, regardless of what happens this weekend. But they'll, they'll certainly look to want to go one better. How impressive is Andy Farrell? Because like he just uh, exudes this kind of calmness, even when things aren't necessarily going well. It's been a you know, reasonably 
it's been very successful since he took over but like he's he's never far off scrutiny as well but he just seems to like that response in the second test was quite stark and obviously the players completely believe in what they're doing Look, we were all slating him um, in media for the first, I don't know, what year and a bit. Um, and the players had full confidence in him. Then Johnny had spoken a lot then about things were coming together. They were confident in, in the way they were playing, but we just couldn't see it on the pitch. And, and then suddenly things clicked and, and they were getting those performances. And there seems to, he seems to have real confident players and puts, it, puts his faith in them. Like if you look at the likes of James Lowe, who's been slated for his defensive performances, Andy Farrell takes him, does work with him. And he comes even stronger. Jameson Gibson Park was second string at Le- Leinster. Andy Farrell sees something in him, puts his confidence in him, and he and he repays it in full faith. And I think when you hear the likes of Lizzy and Peter Manning talking about how good the camp is, how good the environment is, how they're not they're supporting the midweek team and they're all in together, like you, you don't say that for no reason. Like you don't fake it. You you just say nothing. So I, I truly believe that there is a really good vibe in camp and, and they're all getting on and they're all working towards the same thing and you know even even Craig Casey at the weekend you know delighted obviously with the Mary win and the way it was going but not hiding from the fact that he wants to be in that team as well and not afraid to say it and um, you know just there's real good healthy competition there I think I've heard Derek McNamara come in and kind of crunch the stats on it like what's happening with the All Blacks from your perspective because I guess that the invincibility uh, thing is more of a veneer at this stage and now they're facing a potential loss in this test 2-1 which I think a lot of Irish fans are expecting at this stage what's happened with the All Blacks? In some ways they probably don't have the players that they had um, years ago when we were looking at their invincibility in the last kind of year Uh, I think when they came up in the autumn to Ireland we were talking about them being fatigued at the end of the season but that's clearly not the case now it's the start of their season and and just look like they're not connected. Uh, you know, they've had injuries in their centres. They probably wouldn't be the starting centres. Whitelock is such a leader in, in that pack and him not being there for that second test was huge. So I'll be interested to see if he makes it back this week, what difference he makes to the pack. But yeah, like there just, there doesn't seem confidence on that kind of in, in their coaching team. And there's obviously a lot of rumours about Foster and the, the media and the public aren't happy with him as coach. And that kind of could filter into the squad as well. And so, look, they talk about a backlash this week, looking at some of the new media, do or die, and heads will roll if they don't win. So there's definitely a huge amount of pressure on this New Zealand team to perform. Yeah, we've, we've spoken about the two All-Ireland finals today. Galway, Nathan would say it's a bit of a free hit, would tend to agree. Uh, Limerick are obviously overwhelming favourites. If you look at this test, Ireland are like, OK, if we do if we do lose, we've still won in New Zealand, we've created history. All of the pressure's on the Kiwis here, surely. Yeah, it, it's huge. And I feel, they'll feel it from, the, obviously, the media coverage over there, but also around the fans, around demanding more and wanting results and wanting wins, um, just from historically where this team were. And uh, I think the manner in which Ireland performed, particularly in the second test, I don't think they were as far off as, as the scoreline in the first test kind of kind of probably showed. I think they were clo- Ireland were closer, but just that improvement in a week and being that little more accurate, it, New Zealand are very dangerous with like line breaks and one-off tries, whereas Ireland just seems to be more cohesive in the way they're playing, and I don't think New Zealand have that. Yeah, it's it's it was mad watching the documentary RT last year. Where's your pride about that Irish team in the early eighties? What they did for the country at a time when it was really really badly needed. Um, completely different scenario now. Ireland's a different place, but these guys are going to go down in history. I mean, what, do you think that's 
Do you think they're aware of what they're actually doing for Irish rugby in, in, in New Zealand? I think they are now. And I think um, some of the, Paul O'Connor brought a few of the second rows together saying, look, you're the first. This is how important this is. And I guess you just getting that monkey off the back and having that confidence that you can go and beat anyone. And look, we knew they could beat, our desire team could beat anyone on the day. To go away and do it in really hostile conditions. When you've had a couple of injuries, you've not a huge squad to be able to go and field games back to back um, I think they nailed and I just as I said the improvement in a short space of time was really impressive and credit to the coaches and, and the players to be able to turn that around You sound fairly confident Look I, I think you're always wary of New Zealand I think Ireland the way they're playing if they can win that set piece ball and they can get into their shape um, I, I think they're the better team like New Zealand still have very good internationals that can turn it. The likes of Will Jordan can score out of nowhere. But I think as, as a team goes, Ireland are a better team. But it, it's important that everyone performs. You know, obviously there's a lot of talk of Sexton and when he went off in the first test that we didn't step up and we didn't perform after those 20 minutes. I think it's really important that everyone performs regardless if Sexton's there or not. So we need to win our second ball. We need to have that speed of rock ball, which is hugely important to the way we play. And, Look, if we get that, I think we can match anyone on our day. Two, two last points. Love the red brick uh, interior behind you. Um, massive fan. Getting a nod from Colm, our producer here. Everyone's actually agreeing. Um, big fans. Forget about all your um, endless TV shows uh, on RT about home improvement, all that nonsense. Just look at Fiona's gaff. And finally, uh, you won an intermediate All-Ireland Gaelic football with Clontarf, I believe. So who wins, Galway or Kerry? Oh, God. Um, Jesus... I, I think Kerry, um, you know, I thought going into that match against Dublin, I had Kerry down as favourites, even being a dub, that was a tough thing to say. But yeah, I, I think I think Kerry. But, you know, All-Ireland Finals, it's those one-off games who rises to the occasion, the pressure. You know, I just think Kerry probably might deal with the pressure a little bit better. But I, I, I genuinely, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'd be excited to watch it, though. Uh, before all of that, enjoy this weekend, Fiona. Thank you. Yeah, that was Fiona Coughlin uh, looking forward to uh, the final test between Ireland and New Zealand. Yeah, as Ger said, what a weekend of sport. And he didn't even mention Saturday um, into the Open. JD, uh, check out his tips. I think you get five tips, including McElroy uh, for the golf. Um, it's going to be a hell of a weekend in terms of weather and in terms of the hurling. Uh, I have to say, you know, being at the Galway Limerick game, the, the standard and intensity of hurling now is bringing the sport to a level. Is it the best sport in the world? Is it the best field sport in the world? If you were to bring a randomer to any field sport, um, would he or she say hurling was the best? Better than, better than football? Better than rugby? I think we've the best of the lot. It is time to wrap up today's show. Um, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless, effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning from 7.30am. Alan Quinlan, he's been having the time of his life, I'd imagine, in New Zealand. Uh, he'll be live from there. We'll also have Joe Quaid uh, representing the Green of Limerick and David Herity representing the Black and Amber as we continue our build-up. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.